Hey y'all, this is Nobody coming to you before the show with just a couple of programming notes. Uh, we definitely did forget to plug our Twitters at the end of this episode, which normally I would not make a note about. It's, you know, y'all know me. I'm at patch underscore jacket. The thing is, Chloe recently changed their handle to match their uh, new name, so uh, you're going to look for Chloe Phil Chaos on Twitter. That's at C-H-L-O-E-P-H-Y-L-L-C-H-A-O-S. And the other note that we did not mention, and I sincerely apologize for this, is that I recently did a series of guest appearances on the Alphabet Flight podcast. That's at Alphabet Flight on Twitter. It is a exploration of the Marvel Universe in alphabetical order. Um, it's a great time. Uh, I talk with Art about the Abomination and how he just gets dunked on constantly. So if you enjoy comics and enjoy my work, uh, check it out. Art's good people. <laughs> And now uh, I think that's it, so uh, go ahead and enjoy the show. Thanks. Welcome to Us Weirdos Have to Stick Together, the show where a couple of weirdos talk all about the L House. I'm nobody, and joining me is the most wanted criminal in the Boiling Isles. It's Chloe. How are you, Chloe? Oh boy, that sounds, I mean, that sounds different, obviously, because it only happened earlier today when I decided to go by a different name, but yeah, doing great. <laughs> so, so always a fun time to have a new bit of gender euphoria unlock. <laughs> oh, I'm glad we could do that together. Yay. But seriously, yeah. Great thing, I, yeah. I like it. You know, yeah, thanks. You're the, I guess, second person that's actually used it uh, directly talking to me, because uh, my roommate Sam used it earlier when I talked to her about it. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not really sure how I really thought of it. I was just like, I think it was like earlier when I was at my computer, just like eating breakfast and everything, where I was just like sitting there being like, you know what's a good name, Chloe? Uh, the bummer <laughs> that I, oh wait, no, I don't need to, hmm. And then I was like, wait a sec, it doesn't have to necessarily be like your name is not related to like having to owe people masculinity or femininity or androgyny because like i mean yeah. rebecca sugar is a non-binary uh, woman and all <laughs> she uses exactly. she they pronouns so yeah why can't i do the <laughs> fucking same too true and you know i'm never gonna complain i i have two names i make people deal with that fact I, yeah. just do what makes you happy <laughs> fair i mean yes i am gonna use Quill as my middle name when i legally change it so it's like i mean i've told people before like yeah i don't mind if you call me Quill in like some cases but yeah i don't mind or it's, it's not like it's like you know i'm not punting it out the window like my dead name where it's like yep never call me that fuck you <laughs> nice yeah Yep. I don't know. I, uh, when I picked Nobody, it was just because I made a dumb Odyssey joke and then accidentally <laughs> realized I really liked being called that. So, yeah. <laughs> totally valid to have it just appear to you in a, in a daydream. <laughs> yeah. I mean, hey, there are a non zero number of people that I know that have like, decided to name themselves after like tabletop characters they've played as and all. So, <laughs> not, not, not unreasonable to <laughs> just be like, yeah, I like this name. Yeah, well, that's great. 
How was yep. your week? Did you do anything else interesting? <laughs> uh, I mean, I've been on a fucking lot of interviews in the last week. I had two in person last week and a phone interview on Thursday that became uh, them wanting me to go in on Tuesday of this coming week for the per- in person interview. And it's like, uh, I can hope one of them say yes because I need money. <laughs> Please pay the non binary idiot over here <laughs> to do stuff. <laughs> The, uh, the one I'm interviewing with on Tuesday is actually pretty interesting because, like, it is, like, you know, just, like, a kind of, like, I don't want to say, like, bog standard, like, data entry position, but it is working at a company that does a lot of, like, jewelry and watch repairs from, like, customers around the entire world, as they said. So huh. they have, like, a lot of really interesting and valuable things go through them just because... You know, people are sending like literal fairly family heirlooms or very expensive things to be like worked on and serviced and a lot of it is like my job would basically be like receiving anything that arrives and cataloging it in a database of like okay this one arrived this many pieces and this one's here for kind of deal goodness yeah it's, it's a... to the point it's to the point where they actually have like a just because they want to be thorough and make sure nobody steals anything they actually require you to wear clothes that don't have any pockets and go through like a metal detector on your way in and out to make sure. So they huh. said that their dress code is very lax as a result, like a lot of it is like sweatpants. And it's like, oh, I'm gonna have to get like pants that don't have pockets. But yeah, it shouldn't be a problem. <laughs> well, it turns, yeah. out, turns out all my femme clothes have no pants, have no pockets because a lot of femme clothes don't have pockets, period. So there you go. I guess that would be an excuse to wear them. <laughs> They want nobody to steal things, you say. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, that's that sounds like a wild position, and I really hope that works out for you. Yeah, it, it sounds interesting. I mean, the other ones I did, it was like, uh, one, the one I interviewed with on Monday is like a general like office assistant kind of position, where they want to go ahead and convert like all their papers to digital because it turns out they didn't have that really established before the pandemic happened and they were like we're kind of fucked and have to keep going back to the office for this and they're like we want to make sure that doesn't happen and then keep on keep up with it and make sure it doesn't happen again potentially while also doing like other stuff around there and like directly helping out basically like essentially the hr department of a like big mental health company in connecticut it's like literally called like mental health connecticut (laughs) 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 so it's a pretty on the nose name for a company but it seems like it's a interesting position too where it's like yeah like, they were also, like, very open-minded about, like, me being like, hey, just so you know, this isn't my legal name kind of deal, which, oh boy, I'm going to tell all these people again. I was like, what the other name? <laughs> going to be like, hey, remember how I said that was cool? Uh, <laughs> different here, but yeah. It's, uh, you know, definitely interesting there. The other one is, like, uh, working at a... Uh, dang, I'm trying to remember what... It's, like, a, basically, like, a... What kind of fucking company they are, but it's basically like another like clerical assistant kind of position. They're all sound interesting in different regards, but also that one is like way more people facing. And there you had to tell me like, hey, just so you know, there might be people that don't realize what they're saying to you necessarily, because not everybody that comes through here is in kind of the right mind in cases. So you might have a lot of people asking you some weird shit about. Your whole deal, I'm like, yeah, yep, I understand what you're getting at. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yep. that is a lot. 
Yeah, I, I don't know what it is. Like, meanwhile, up here in London, I'm seriously considering applying for a minimum wage job that gets nine hours a week because I can't find anything else. <laughs> oh boy, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at least there was that. It's like, I'm actually finding places that are doing me if just nobody said yes so far. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, you sound like you're having an even worse fucking time of it. It's. Yeah, I don't know how to say this exactly. <laughs> Like, I'm definitely not sending out as many applications as you are. That that's A lot of that is just because of how overwhelmed I've been at school. Yeah, you, you have time, been though, insanely swamped with school. Yeah, but at the same time, though, it's like I, it's not like I haven't been looking, you know? And there just haven't yeah. been that many jobs that I could apply to in the first place. Yeah. Like, almost every single job that my school offers, for instance, is in the business department teaching classes. And I cannot do that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have 180 postings, and of those, 100 of them are business classes. <laughs> oh, that sucks. <laughs> yeah, so. You know, it, it's a bummer, but it is what it is. Yeah, hopefully you find something soon. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm trying to think if there's really anything else that's got on the screen the last week. Uh, uh, not really. I mean, I've not mentioned it earlier on the other thread, but I fucking wiped in the <laughs> Ultra Sun Nuzlocke earlier in the week, and then it continued, uh, like, I uh, saw another one, and I'm past there now. I've had, like, 18 deaths, though, but I'm getting there. <laughs> I have, like, maybe four Pokemon in the box, plus the six in my team, but I I'm, I got past fucking Tonum Lorantis, that fucker. <laughs> I'm going to be honest, I don't really see the appeal. It kind of just <laughs> sounds like you're feeding Pokemon to a coyote, so to speak. <laughs> I mean, you know that I'm the kind of person that also plays the Dark Souls games and Elden Ring and Bloodborne, despite not being particularly good at them. So maybe I'm just a masochist. I'm a glutton for punishment, I guess. <laughs> I, th I think it's really just because, like, it's a way to actually introduce challenge to the Pokemon games, because especially the last few have been piss easy. <laughs> like, there's only, like, a couple of them that are actually legit can be difficult, even when you're, like, being well-prepared. Like, I mean, everybody said, like, talked about how, like, hard Cynthia is back in Diamond and Pearl, especially in Platinum, yeah. and her team is actually better and everything, too, in there, where it's, like, yeah, she's a hard fight even when you're just playing normal, but at the same time, you can always just grind levels to get a past her and beat her. But a lot of this is like, well, you, you typically don't go past the level cap of, like, the ace of whatever next big boss there is, like, gym leader, or in the case of Sun and Moon, like, the child captains or whatever. Yeah. You know, so it's like, you're trying to, like, I mean, obviously, like, yeah, like, Totem Lorantis is level 24, and it's like, if you necessarily want to, you could grind and, like, get your, like, in my case, Tora got to Incineroar at, like, level 36 and stomp it. But there's no fun in that, because then it's like, you don't risk the fucking starter, which I did, and my starter definitely got fucking killed by Tonal Lorantis, because... Toracat ain't that great, actually. It's kind of, it's really <laughs> slow, it doesn't actually, like, really do a lot well. It's kind of just, like, kind of mediocre overall. <laughs> but it's fine. I, I had caught a Cubone earlier, so now I have a little bit of Marowak to be my new fire type. 
Well, Lillian Merlec is objectively better because it's a ghost, but... <laughs> yeah, fair. I mean, it's also immune to, uh... Like, Cinderella would only be immune to Psychic, whereas, uh... Alone Marowak is immune to fighting in normal and also gets the lightning rod. It's also technically immune to lightning. <laughs> so it's better as a tanky Pokemon. Also, I uh, farmed trying to get a thick club from other uh, Cubones, so now it also hits for twice as hard. So it it'll work <laughs> out. We're getting there. <laughs> yeah, sounds like it. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, you might you might have to throw a bunch of soldiers into, into the wolves to get there, but you'll make it eventually, right? <laughs> <sighs> yep. The commander doesn't get to choose the warriors that they have. They have to make do with the ones they got. Hmm. Which in my case is like, yeah, I, I you know, yeah, kind of bad analogy, I guess. But like <laughs> in my case, it's, it's a little Marowak, a Sylveon, uh, a fucking Mudbray, a... Uh, Fuck, uh, Magnemite. What the hell is the other dude I got? Uh, God, what am I forgetting? <laughs> uh, oh, a Bagon. Because, like, I made sure that I had only encounters before the one place where Bagon can show up at Kala A Bay, or. I don't know how to pronounce <laughs> any of the area names in Sun and Moon because it's all Hawaii based. Yeah. Bandit, that's a. And then. Fuck, let's see. Oh, yeah, and I got a Starmie. I have a Snowpoke in the box, too, but I boxed him and place to star me because i remembered you can just totally farm the ability capsules in that game by doing the stupid mantine surfing because my Sergio had the bad ability and not natural cure so i'm like oh i can change this and then i can also go ahead and change uh magnemite to have sturdies this way he doesn't get one shot by things <laughs> yeah yep. sounds well sounds like a challenge anyway uh yeah <laughs> i mean the next is uh fighting olivia whose ace is level 28 so Yep, gotta grind up some of the other guys to get there, because like most of them are like like 24 or so, so I gotta level up before that. Yeah. Really, what I probably should have done was actually keep Cubone at 27 before he evolves, because then he would have at least resisted uh, the Rock-type Zax, but I still have Mudray for that, because Mudray actually, I like down, did, does have Sturdy, or not Sturdy, uh, Stamina. So, <laughs> she at least takes less damage from it. Yep. Yeah. I, uh, I did it's, not do uh, anything fun this week. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you you were busy with fucking class all the time, so it's kind of it's kind of hard to really focus on doing a lot of interesting or fun things when you're dealing with essentially finals. Yeah, as stated previously, I have just been totally swamped. It's um, I have four classes, and each of them had a final project due this week. Uh, <laughs> so between <laughs> the executive dysfunction and the final projects, I just have not. I got a hamburger yesterday. That's the most exciting thing I did. Yeah, um, that's fair. Life as a grad student. Hey, shockingly enough, the best hamburger I've had in London comes from a place called London Burger. What do you know? Um, yeah. Uh, well, our pre-episode chat is a little short this week, but I think that's probably okay because we have got some talking to do, huh? <laughs> Oh yeah, I mean, especially with uh, the new context we have about episode 11 from watching episode 15 earlier today. <laughs> oh yes, indeed. It's, it's funny how often we talk about things and then accidentally manifest them in the course of this podcast. <laughs> and, and also how it's like, oh, the episode that we're doing, to, one of the two episodes we're doing today also happens to time out well with the episode that just released today. <laughs> Yeah, I wonder if we should just automatically record on Saturdays. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I mean, uh, I don't know. Maybe. It depends. Yeah, so uh, today we are starting Season 2B. Lucky listeners, you don't have to wait three months, so... Or <laughs> seven, like long we did. It was. it was seven months between Season 2A and 2B. Ah, yeah. See, I didn't keep track of it. <laughs> yep. Yesterday's I aired on August uh, 14th. I only remember that exactly because Lumity became canon on July 31st, so it was two weeks after. <laughs> and then it came back on March 19th, so yeah, it was a long fucking time. Dang. But, uh, yeah, so my episode today is Season 2, Episode 11, Follies at the Coven Day Parade. And we open right away with Luce making a video for her mom. Uh, thankfully, she doesn't really recap the last episode, which I was afraid she was going to. But what she's actually doing is trying to change her mind's mom about the demon realm. She wants to convince her mom that it's not so bad to be there. <laughs> and uh, she starts by panning out the window to show the forest, but Hootie is out there, and he's just a skeleton. He's taken off his skin. <laughs> yeah, to wash it or something. <laughs> Which brings um, up more questions, considering we were like, Hootie can rip himself from the door and leave those organs behind. Apparently Hootie can just leave everything behind, and he's sentient is in a fucking skeleton yeah i guess because he certainly doesn't have a muscular system he's just a skeleton yeah there's, there's no brain in that boy's skull because you see the bird skull and it's like you don't even see eyeballs or anything uh-huh. yeah, so uh, then... also also how, the, how did they get away with doing this joke <laughs> Like, they were talking about, like, how they wanted the show to be, like, Lucy's Adventures in Hell after she died, and they were like, oh, we can't get, Disney won't let us do that. Apparently letting uh, them fucking mortify a child in the course of the show by seeing her friend rip his skin and organs off to just be a skeleton to wash it is totally fine with them. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, maybe it's... It's like, you can have a skeleton in a cartoon, you know? So yeah, but you see the bit where Hootie's dropping his skin suit along, like, the fence or whatever. It's not like you just see him, like, hanging out as a skeleton at one point. You're just like, oh yeah, Hootie's, like, clo Hootie's air quotes clothing are in the wash. It's like, no, you see him drop his skin. <laughs> that's true, but it's not got organs or anything, so I think that's why they let them get yeah, away with it. Yeah, but we did see his organs back in episode 3 and episode 8 of the season 2. You yeah, do see no, pulsating but... stuff in the door. Yeah, we do, briefly, but that's like a cutaway joke. I think if they had wanted to have, like, a muscular mus a muscular system attached to this skeleton and just yeah <laughs> that they would not have gotten away with but since he's just yeah. a skelly i think it's okay yeah i don't know it still strikes me as like i don't know how they were able to like get permission to show this person drop their skin and just be a skeleton <laughs> uh, we've proven our point we've talked for four minutes about the first 15 seconds of the episode <laughs> but yeah Skeleton Hootie. He's the best. I love him. Um, <laughs> Rudy continues to be a nightmare. <laughs> the best nightmare. Yeah, so uh, Luz runs off to town um, and starts to show off her glyph magic in the video, but the light glyph she makes blinds Basha, who then threatens to set her eyes on fire. <laughs> uh, big overreact, if you ask me, but it's Basha, so... Uh, Luz then tries to show off the school hex side, 
and she does try to interview Principal Bump a bit, but instead of showing off the school, he just shows off the detention pit, which has been repaired by now and allegedly improved. Terrifying. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, not, not a great way to introduce your mom to your hometown. Um, after the credits, uh, Willow and Gus are on the front steps of Hexside, and they're debating about what's under the Emperor's mask, because they suddenly care about that for some reason. Uh, Gus thinks maybe he's just shy, but Willow says that there's a mirror under there, and that the real Emperor was society all along. <laughs> um, at this point, Gus suggests that maybe the Emperor is just so handsome no one can focus on what he's saying. <laughs> Yeah, he's, he's just too... Like, everybody gets too distracted by the sexy. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, he asks Luce, since she saw him up close, not really noticing how depressed she is. <laughs> yeah, they, they are definitely not paying attention to the fact that Luce is very bummed out. <laughs> and, yeah, she admits that she didn't really get a good look, at which point Amity pops into frame out of nowhere, saying that she heard he was scarred by wild magic. And uh, Luce makes the sort of cartoon cat yell <laughs> and falls over. It's very adorable. Um, so they greet each other, and Amity calls Luz patata as a term of endearment, a sweet potato. Uh, she reveals that Gus gave her a human book to teach her Spanish. <laughs> it is a cookbook. Um, they do ask if she went through the door and saw her mom, but she has a flashback to last episode and her mom making her promise to stay in the human realm, and it feels more dramatic this time. I don't know if they oh, reframed it's... it, but... <laughs> no, it's not reframed, but the dialogue is slightly different. Like, I can't even uh... about this. Uh, Camille in the original, like, actual scene was just basically, you know, like, pleading with Luce to stay at home when she got back. But in this flashback, she's, like, telling, specifically telling Luce to never go back to the Boiling Isles. So it's, like, it's structured in a different way where it's, like, it's Luce misremembering what happened mm. kind of way. Where it's, like, oh, she thinks that her mom has told her, like, oh, she has to come back home and never see her friends again. As opposed to her mom just wants her to come home. And, ah, you know, because so she's worse. just concerned about it. <laughs> uh, yeah, like, Luce's remembrance of it is definitely worse than, like, what Camille actually said back in yesterday's life. <laughs> Yeah, wow. But yeah, um, so she lies. She says she hasn't had the chance to do the door yet, uh, at which point Ida arrives to pick her up. Uh, she kisses Amity on the cheek and runs off at full speed. <laughs> but she left her phone behind, and Amity finds it with the home screen and the video open. Dot, dot, dot. Cut away. <laughs> um, Ida says that there's no way her mom will actually make her stay, so this is nice. She kind of lied at the end of the last episode, said it was all good, so it's nice to see that she opened up to her new mom. <laughs> um, yeah, like, I, I feel like the implication is that, like, you know, after what she originally told them back in yesterday's life, she did tell Eden King, like, what actually happened, because, I mean, yeah. like, they are telling her, like, yeah, don't worry, there's no way she can, like, that she'll force you to stay there in the human realm kind of deal. Yeah, exactly. I just, I'm glad that even though we saw her hide the truth, that they already know, and that it wasn't a big plot point, you know? That that could have very easily been a... Yeah, that, this, this could, like, when they announced that uh, what follows the Governor Parade's, like, synopsis was going to be, I was like, oh, this is going to be a bit where, like, everybody doesn't know the truth, and, like, like Luce is hiding it from even them, and it's like, no, yeah. she actually did tell them, at least. Which is good. Exactly, like, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, Ida does also say that if... Uh, 
Luce's mom tries to make her stay, then she'll put on the charm, which does very briefly give us the slightest amount of hope for Ida Mia, but then she ruins it by saying that it's a charm that turns people into obedient zombies, so there you go. Is, um, is that is that the actual ship name between Kamiya and Ida? Because I've never actually heard Ida, Ida Mia at all, ever. Like, I I've, mean, seen people, I've seen people ship them, but I've never heard like an actual ship name with them. I made that up. But it, it was good, the though. best way it, I could yeah. find to combine the names, yeah. Yeah, fair. I mean, it, it does kind of have a nice ring to it, because it's just the same syllable, essentially, twice. Yeah, exactly. But, but then that means we don't get Rita. Listen, well, I mean, people I guess, can be polyamorous. True. Rita has two hands. <laughs> My partner has two other partners and a wife, and I've never been happier. Oh, neat. But, yeah. Polyamory solves a lot of problems. Um, <laughs> yeah, so in town, there are Emperor's Coven guards everywhere prepping for the Coven Day Parade. And this feels really deja vu at first because it's very similar to when they first show up in town and it's all bellowed out from a few episodes ago. Oh, yeah, but, way back in Season 2, Episode 1. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. Ida says she's just here to pick something up and wanders off. At which point, Luce overhears Kikimura talking to her mom on a crow phone. Uh, the mom wants Kikimura to come home, but she says she can't, because if she leaves and doesn't run this parade, Bellos will fire her. But uh, the mom seems to be saying something pretty nasty on the other end. <laughs> uh, Luce returns to the others, and King makes a reference to the Luce and King comedy hour from season one. And he also indicates that it is always bread puns. It was bread puns that episode, but it turns out that's just what it always is. What yeah, a nightmare. Uh, yeah, I, I hadn't known about that, where I think it, it was uh, in really small problems, I think it was, when they were Yeah, doing, it sure was. Yeah, because yeah, they wanted to take their show on the road to the carnival, which they definitely did not do in it at all. They did not even try. <laughs> no. They are 14 and 8. They didn't get distracted easily. Yes, indeed. When I'm 30, I get distracted easily. Yeah, um. yeah, we say that, and meanwhile, we got distracted there if we talk about the lads on their outside. <laughs> Yeah, um, so King tells Luce that uh, Ida has hired a private investigator to spy on her ex, and that it's rain, and that he learned this from reading her diary. He pushes Ida a little bit, not physically, but, you know, just emotionally, and she gets upset and yells at him, admitting that rain was captured for resisting the Emperor, and Luce just straight passes out, <laughs> at which point Ida immediately starts reading the file again. She does not even check on her, uh, <laughs> ward kid whatever i don't know student child i mean yeah i mean in a few episodes of time she will refer to Luce as her student slash child yes so. exactly <laughs> good mommy though except for this point where she's not bothering to deal with the fact that Luce kind of passed out from in her mind immediately shipping read eden rain <laughs> <laughs> yeah so we do get some things by looking at this file uh, apparently rain's status is inactive and it also says that they're a master of all manner of instruments, including the guitar and the organ, which I love for its simplicity. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I like that. Th I like the organ fun. <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah, it's a good joke. Yeah. Also, that their favorite food is spicy, and their favorite movie is Die Bard Two, which I have questions yep. about. 
I mean, we've already brought up, like, how people in the Boiling House watch movies at all. <laughs> like, I mean, Amity has seen the Azura movie, which is on the fucking DVD. So. Yeah, you're not wrong. It's just that since this is specifically Die Bard, I think it's a Boiling House original. I didn't know there was it's, a film industry be, yeah. here. Yeah, I mean, there's, yeah, there's the book industry, and there is, like, news. Like, there's, like, essentially TV with the Crystal Balls, so I guess there's, like, essentially the equivalent of movies. Yeah. Uh, there is also uh, a piece of sheet music in this folder, and uh, I got curious about this, so I did play that piece of sheet music. We only see the last two lines because the rest of it is cut off, but it's very... It's not anything we've heard before. I don't know what this no. is. <laughs> yeah, no, you linked me to the song that you played, and it's like, yeah, it's definitely not a song that's been in the show before. And it's, yeah, yeah it's, it's interesting if it's going to show up again or if there's any significance or if it's just a song that, like, Rain composed, maybe Farida, or they composed together, or it's just in there for some reason. I had hoped we could play it live, but we had some issues with that text, so uh, I'm going to be adding it in post. It should be starting here. It's 30 seconds later. <laughs> <laughs> the power of magic and editing. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, so Luz is awake again, and she reads the file and gets very emotional because this whole thing reminds her of Azura and Hecate. Like, you know, everything does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, possibly also herself, I'm thinking, just given the situation. Um, Ida is mostly confused because Rain was very clearly a traitor and shouldn't still be part of a coven, but nevertheless they are. I don't know how that meshes with their inactive status, but I guess they're still up there. I, the way I read that is that like Rain's has kind of been out of the public eye for the last month or so. Ah, I guess that makes sense. Like I, I, th I think that's yeah. I, I want to say that's how I read that. Like maybe this like. I mean, you passed up with the fact that, like, Ida is talking to the Inspectigator, which is the person she hired about this. But, yeah, I think, like, the I think the ins uh, Inspectigator basically was, like, tra trailing Rain beforehand, but for the last month hasn't been able to get updates, which is why they listed them as inactive. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, I do also want to mention, um, in this book, there is a shot of a blue ribbon that seems pretty innocuous now, but we are going to learn in today's episode that it was one of the ribbons from this training camp that they had to go to. So. Oh, wait, what's that in there? I missed it. Yeah, it same, sure was. I, all the same, I watched these two episodes last night before, like like maybe like two hours before uh, Them's the Breaks Kid aired, so I guess I didn't notice that. I did not realize the ribbons in there. Yeah, yeah, there, there's a big picture of it in God. the... Uh... This show always hides a little shit like that that you don't even realize. <laughs> yeah, um, so Luz suggests that uh, they could just ask Rain, because a huge billboard is being put up for Coven Day. Uh, apparently they're going to be in the parade. The trouble is, in the parade, they'll be surrounded by guards, so they need somebody on the inside. At which point, Luz shows Ida a extremely defeated Kikimura, who 
is just standing there literally getting walked all over. <laughs> yeah, she, she just trips over like a plank and just, like tries to lift herself up but just says in a fucking just lays on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> I've been it's, there. Yeah, it's like we. Yeah, I mean we've all been there at one point or another. But it's like, God, I didn't expect the show to really like make us actually like concerned about Kiki more of all characters. She's kind of <laughs> not been much of a character at all until this. Episode. Yeah, really. <laughs> also, God, her family sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't really get anything of her family's perspective, but uh, not being able to make it to one event and getting banished from the family forever is pretty awful. <laughs> yeah, when it's like, I mean, at this point, it's like, I don't remember if Kikimaru told them that, like, she thinks that she would be killed if she fails this as well, but it's like, it's like, they they should know who Bellows is, and it's like, yeah, like, I have a fucking job, I'm the assistant to the emperor, I'm sorry that I can't go for a family reunion. <laughs> also can't leave or else. Uh, Luz suggests they could work together, and Ida is extremely skeptical, but uh, Luz insists that Kikimura could get them close to rain. And when Ida wants to know what Luz is getting out of it, uh, she manages to lie her way out of it, saying she's just super interested in romantic reunions. The thing is, is that Ida taught her kid to be a criminal, so... <laughs> yep. <laughs> Yeah, taught her child how to lie her ass off. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, so yeah, Ida reluctantly agrees, and when Kikimura asks what they're planning, Luz reveals that they're going to kidnap her. <laughs> and Rain. And Rain. Uh, at this point, we get a montage of the team getting supplies, uh, Luz buying a bunch of potions, and King buying fireworks from Ed, because apparently he makes his own fireworks, and Ida stealing trash. <laughs> One of those seems least less important. Uh, I think she's just like gathering cloth is the thing. Yeah, like, that's I, I think they true. showed they showed like a cloth error like right beforehand before it cuts to showing her in the trash or something grabbing a piece of cloth instead. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, I like that Hootie's hanging out with them to help gather stuff. Like he's kind of just hanging out in the Porter Hootie like house and everything yeah. on Lucy's back, but he's hanging out. He got his wish to go on adventures with them after. He almost killed, like, half the group back when he tried to help them all out in Hootie's door. Totally. But he got what he wanted. And also, like, so Luce gets the potions from Morton and then just turns to walk away. And Morton does not try to stop her. And then Hootie pays him. I feel like maybe they established earlier that Hootie had the money or something and Morton didn't realize that that meant the money was in Hootie. Either that, or he's just afraid of her by this point. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, what they're doing is they're building a parade float to be piloted by King and Hootie, and it's going to be loaded for bear with glyphs and potions and fireworks. Uh, during the parade, they'll set it all off as a distraction, and when Kikimura sends guards to investigate, they'll grab her in rain. And then, since she's been kidnapped, Bellos won't banish her, in theory. I mean, it's Bellos. He's totally going to banish her for being kidnapped. <laughs> but yeah, since she's 
been kidnapped, she should be able to get to go to the family reunion and still keep her job and then brag about escaping later. It's the best of both worlds, Luce desperately cries. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's like, like ver very much like if you feel like uh, everybody else at this point is like starting to catch on that Luce is like really working on this close, like, like it's clearly that she's not just doing this just to help Kikimura and yeah. Ida. It's like she has some ulterior motive here of like, definitely not at all concerned about the other thing I dealt with a couple of days ago. Nope. <laughs> yeah. I didn't write the exact line down here, but Hootie does sort of indicate that he's had romantic relationships in the yeah, past. Yeah, like, it, it's like, he, he's talking, like, he talks a bit about, like, you know, it's like, you know, getting back with Rain is so romantic, and King's like, what, what, what would you know? And he says, which I've been around. Uh -huh. Which is like, has Hootie fucked? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. has Hootie... Has Hootie been with uh, people in, like, romantic and sexual relationships? <laughs> it kind of, of implies that, is. doesn't he? Yeah. Also, it's, like, the second time in the show where they've used witch in place of bitch. It's like... <laughs> yeah. Again, another thing that I'm, like, kind of surprised they keep getting away with considering they did it, like, twice so far. <laughs> yeah, I'm... Listen, I know we don't want to talk about this. I know we don't want to think about this, but <laughs> if Hootie's dated people, did he date them as Porta Hootie or did he date them as the house? I would assume as the house because, like, he needs somebody to take him around. I guess if he was going on a date with somebody, they could carry him around as the house and he could just, like, stretch around and be, like, facing them and talking to them as they walk or something. I don't know. <laughs> <sighs> I mean, for all we know, Hootie's just full of shit, is the thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, Hootie has made that stuff before. So he well, I mean, we've seen. He's too. full of bones, so. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, we cut to Willow's place where Amity shows up and interrupts her workout. Uh, Willow was doing, like, uh, 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 forearm lifts with some seriously big barbells. So yeah, yeah Willow is small as fuck. <laughs> yeah, really. I mean, uh, we've kind of we've kind of gotten that a bit because, like, I, I remember I think there was like one part where we like we think we saw her exercising a little bit in like one shot back in season one. I want to say, um, but I don't remember. I feel like there was like. I don't know, maybe I'm thinking of, like, uh, I think it was actually, like, artwork that Dana did, like, back in season one, where, like, Willow had, like, one of those, uh, those, like, oh, what the fuck are they called? They're, like, those little, like, uh, exercise things where it's, like, it's, uh, the two things on the spring that you, like, grab with one hand and, like, push together. Oh, yeah, those. Uh, yeah. What the uh, fuck are those things Tensor called? trainers, I think? Something, Something like, like that, that, yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's maybe that, which is, like, I feel like people thought that and she worked out, and then, like, that basically, like, with Dana being like, yeah, she does. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we've actually seen it in the show before this, but it would not shock me. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, they really don't know how to interact with each other, but uh, Amity is pretty upset and kind of desperate, so she just sort of trauma dumps immediately. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it doesn't take her long before she fully just says why she's actually shown up at Willow's house. Yeah. The thing is, is that she thinks, correctly, that Luce is lying about not having been to the human realm, and she has Luce's food, so she could check, but she also doesn't want to invade her girlfriend's privacy. And uh, Willow agrees to give her advice, if Amity will braid her hair first. It's very cute, and Amity says that she's glad that they can be close again. 
I'm just yeah. glad we got this scene. We needed this. Yeah, like it, it's it's like yeah, like we were definitely like they were getting better in their relationship as we saw throughout the show. But I definitely do like that they included this to show like yeah, there's still like some work for them to do and they're getting better. But like, it's it's still like a little weird between them because like I mean Amity is like kind of like uncomfortable when she does show up at Lil's house again because it's been ages. Yeah, yeah. I like it. <laughs> and also I, I just like the little like pattering of Willow's feet that she does when she sits on the floor waiting for Amity to start braiding her hair. It's cute. <laughs> but yeah, I, I looked it up. There's, apparently Dana did a Reddit AMA at one point where she stated that Willow works out every morning. Ah, I see. But it, but it wasn't until this episode where we saw that she actually works out. And again, we'll see that again in two episodes time as well. <laughs> yeah, that was correct. It was not in the show, but it was confirmed by Dana herself. Yeah. Um, so we cuts to the pre-parade staging area where Kikimura is worrying about the plan out loud, just entirely compromising operational security. Yep. <laughs> At which point Rain shows up and asks what she's talking about. <laughs> uh, she's surprised to see them, and they say that they pretty much hate public events because they have to talk to people and because there are people there, which... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's... Don't get me wrong, I don't like talking to strangers, but... I don't mind being in a parade if I'm performing because you don't have to talk to people when you're playing the bagpipe is the thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're, you're there to perform. You're not there to, like, really... I mean, again, like, if you're playing an instrument, you're really not there to, like, smile and wave at the people. You're really there to, like, do what you're doing. Also, it's like, I gotta point out, would anybody really be able to actually hear Rain playing the violin <laughs> during the parade when there's other music and cheering and fireworks going on? I think so, but only because of the magic. I, I guess, yeah. It's funny just because of that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so Kikimura notices that Rain seems a lot more confident than they used to, and uh, at this point, Terra, the head of the plant coven, shows up. She's been helping Rain to recover with some kind of magical tea, which... She gives them a big peeping goat horn full of now. I say goat horn, but it's probably a demon, let's be honest. Yeah. Um. <laughs> it's one of those, like, ale horns that you think of. Like, like, whenever you think of people drinking, like, Game of Thrones, it's either they're drinking from a big bug or they're drinking from a horn. It's exactly. Horns. Yeah. But yeah, so the... Uh... The parade starts, and there are a couple pretty impressive floats. One of them is basically a Boiling Isles version of a lucky cat. And of course the illusion float is entirely too extravagant for me to describe. <laughs> and then a much less impressive abomination balloon, which I guess is being carried by abominations, but like, come on, step up your game. <laughs> and then we see uh, Ida and Luz jumping rooftops a couple of streets away. Uh, Rain has talked about having to wave, and Tara gave them advice about how to wave a couple times now, but they're just playing their violin. They're not waving at anybody. <laughs> uh, they do, like, a little, like, motion with their uh, bow a bit, where they're, like, yeah, like, you know, nervously waving at people, but they're really just playing the violin, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, so the fake float is, um, it's like a super deformed bellows. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, they just it's, stuffed it's, it in a hay cart, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's pretty goofy. But also, for the fact that it was, like, made by four idiots in an afternoon, it's not bad. No, not especially at all. Fact that they, especially with the fact that they make it elaborate enough where they can, like, use a mechanism that causes, like, it to raise up his hands and, like, a finger guns and do, like, a uh, wink at yeah, the audience. Yeah. 
People Very absolutely love this scratch. float. Yeah. <laughs> well, the bellows. Everybody loves bellows. I will say, as a so as a bagpiper, I've done a lot of parades. You know, it's like mm-hmm. one of the main things is that you can walk and play. That's yeah. That's what bagpipes are famous for, and uh, it's not that easy to get into a parade. You can't just turn up with a float. <laughs> yeah, they they had to have been like there had to have been like an opening for. Like they need another float, which is why they took this one, which I presume <laughs> was, was submitted anonymously because I don't think they would have accepted a float from known criminals such as Ida and Luz. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And of course, or, they just, or it's just like a communal thing that they let anybody have a float as long as it's not like you know offensive or anything. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, yeah. I guess I don't know how that works. I just. Yeah, and all the parades have been, and you had to register in advance, so I was a little put off by this. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you want to hear a bagpipe joke? Why do bagpipers walk while they play? Uh, because they're probably without hair. To get away from the noise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Um. So uh, they they make the bellows do finger guns and wink, which is apparently the signal. So uh, they. Sp- Bring into action, or at least Ida does, because Luz can't make herself jump down from the roof. Um, yeah, I, I like how Luz is when they came up with this plan, and that she didn't consider the fact that she would have to be athletic and getting off the roof. <laughs> like, she had no problem doing like parkour to get from rooftop to rooftop, but since she has to slide down a rooftop, she's like, oh, well, I didn't think about this part. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yes, uh, they. King and Hootie, I mean. When the time ticks down on Hootie's truly horrendous meat watch, they launch the fireworks, which spell out uh, bellows, more like bulos, and a thumbs-down emote. And uh, Rain actually seems really upset when they see this. <laughs> uh, not sure what all the glyphs and the potions were for, but we don't really see them, just the fireworks. So I, I feel like they were like part of the like firework display itself like they were like how they made it have the text and everything in there that makes sense yeah um yeah so kiki mora sends the guards to uh, examine the float and investigate at which point ida and luce appear from invisibility behind rain's float uh they set off a new glyph combo which creates a giant smoke cloud all over the place and in the cloud luce grabs kiki mora claiming to be hekate here to whisk her away to a kingdom of mirrors and snakes <laughs> Uh, Amity uh, is in the crowd and immediately knows who this is, obviously. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to say also, I don't think it's a new glyph combo. I think it's exactly. I think it's the same uh, mist that Luce used back in Hunting Talisman. Oh, is it? Okay. I, I think I think so. I, I want to say it is. I'm, I, I'd have to like look back at it, but I think it is just a typical like fire and ice glyph combo, just like that one was. Okay, well, never mind. I, I... It's hard to tell. Now that we're doing combos, we just don't get as good of a look at them as we used to. Yeah, I mean, it's only in this episode where we actually see the invincibility glyph combo for the first time, even though it's been around since episode three of the season. Yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, Amity is watching. Uh, she face palms. Ida ties Rain up with a plant glyph and grabs them, and they all run off invisible again. But it's it's got to be like... Dungeons and Dragons 5e invisibility because Amity can just follow them. She still knows where they are. 
Uh, I think I think yeah I think she's like yeah she's just like basically listening and where they are kind of deal. Yeah, that's. I don't know. There's invisibility is a weird and tricky subject sometimes. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean it is a little bit wonky. It's like she doesn't cast a spell to like have true sight or anything, but she just kind of knows and she can basically intuit it's like exactly where Luce is headed. Yeah. Well, the reason I say it's like 5e is because in 5e, if you're invisible, people still know you're there. They just have disadvantage to hit you. You don't get hidden unless you take the height action. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, we didn't really deal with invisibility much in our campaign, so maybe I'm just forgetting. Yeah, it, it's like we... really dumb, but it's the only thing I can liken this to. Yeah. <laughs> um... But, like, yeah, if, if you're invisible and you move in 5e, people still know what square you're in unless you took the height action first. They can just track you. Oh, uh, weird, because, like, we definitely fought, like, some sort of, like, ghost or spirit in one session that we didn't know, and we had to make, like, perception checks and try to, like, intuit where it was. Uh, that is kind of an older thing. It's possible mm. it was brought forward, or maybe it was a monster's unique ability. Yeah, I don't know. That, yeah, that might have just been our DM, like, basically just being like, yeah, this is how I just want to run invisibility, because, like, it's it, better. Makes more <laughs> it, it makes more sense that you don't that you wouldn't be able to tell where an invisible monster is compared to that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, eventually, I was just like, "Oh wait, I've got fairy fire prepared." Blat, fuck you. Yeah, there you go. That's <laughs> how you that deal way. with problems. Yeah, that's how you deal with problems. You be a fucking druid and have a bunch of spells prepared just in case. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, back at the parade, Emperor's Coven guards surround the fake float, doing something we haven't really seen before. It's a uh... Yep. <laughs> like they're making a finger gun. This is a they, very they, gun looking yeah. spell. They, they they straight up have their like spell circles at the end of their finger while their finger is doing a finger gun <laughs> motion with them having the uh, the other hand like holding it underneath their other hand like it's like they're training a pistol on this. Yeah, thing. this is full small arms <laughs> shooting stance. They're braced yeah. for recoil and everything. <laughs> yep. I don't know what changed but this is really new and dangerous looking <laughs> yeah it's it's a bit goofy that they're doing this considering we've never seen people cast spells like this before but also at the same time it's just funny yeah the bird coming guards are definitely goofballs and would do that <laughs> um yeah so hootie says that they're going to have to be sneaky to escape this at which point he gives the fake billows legs by bending part of him outside of the thing and just hops away <laughs> yep um, yeah, uh, one of the guards does say to kill the monstrosity, and Hootie mentions that this isn't the first time he's heard that, which, like, we've talked about him several times this episode, but I just feel like Hootie is a lot more characterful these days than he used to be. Like, yeah, like, ever since, like, Hootie's door in particular, I feel like, like, Hootie is definitely, like, way more of a character now. Like, he yeah. kind of was always just, like, a one-note joke kind of character up until then. Exactly. He was just the yeah. kind of character who showed up to say a weird, random, annoying thing. Yeah. And now he's sometimes like getting... be horrific. But yeah. now he's, now he's like a person. <laughs> yeah, now he's getting the chance to actually like do things that are pretty funny and not just kind of like he's not lol random anymore. He's like, Oh look at Hootie, he's like being a little chaotic gremlin and helping exactly. everybody out by making a distraction. <laughs> yeah, so we love him. We love our nightmare king. Uh we want to see more of him. Um, <laughs> Ida unties Rain out in a dark alley and hugs them, saying that she's glad that they're okay, but they are very confused because they don't remember the last meeting the two of them have. 
They claim to have spent the last month sick in bed and to have not talked to Ida in literally years. Um, they say that they can't associate with wild witches anymore because they are the head of a coven and warn Ida to leave. But she won't until she gets through to them. At which point we cut away to Luz carrying Kikimura through the streets. Uh, they're visible again, and when she realizes this, Kikimura warns that she will end them if they're caught. Apparently she is very afraid of Terra Snapdragon. <laughs> Hootie, uh, still pretending to be Bellos, is just hopping through the streets, proclaiming new rules. Uh, the law has no meaning. Stealing is legal. And <laughs> I am he, your god. <laughs> yes. He is pursued yep. by Emperor's Coven guards until he turns around and starts chasing them, screaming that he is their god. <laughs> <sighs> like I said, Again, it's, we love yeah, him. <laughs> it, it's, it's a very funny little bit. It's it's goofy, but at the same time, it's like, well, it, uh, it's letting Hootie and King have their moment to just fuck up some guards. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, so uh, where Luce is, Terra arrives looking for Kikimura and monologues a bit. Uh, Luce has them ducks down behind a hay cart, and Terra definitely knows they're there, but she doesn't attack yet. Um, <laughs> as Luce puts together a new invisibility glyph with just a leaf she found, uh, Terra says it is too bad that Kikimura vanished right before her promotion, which causes Kiki to gasp, revealing their position. And Terra attacks with a sharp vine, which is held back by an abomination. Uh, Amity's here. Uh, they start yep. running, and uh, Luce asks how she knew about all this. Uh, apparently, this whole plan was just literally a thing from the Fifth Azura book. <laughs> yeah, the one that uh, Luce lent Amity way back in Season 1, Episode 7. Because yeah. she didn't have the Fifth book. <laughs> also, uh, I mean, have, have to worth pointing out here, Amity Blight does another treason here in this episode. <laughs> it's true, she does but, do that. Yep. She not only attacked Hunter back in episode 9 of the season, but now she's attacking uh, one of the Coven Heads. <laughs> yes, indeedy. Um, Luz is touched that Amity remembers her favorite part of the book, but Amity mostly just wants to keep her girlfriend out of jail, which, fair. Uh, then she does something that impressed everyone forever and makes an abomination skateboard <laughs> yep and they roll it's off the... down the street together it was very funny after this episode aired when the uh the mystery shack twitter account was just like there's so much fucking merch in this episode i gotta make now jesus christ <laughs> <laughs> the skateboard being one of them it was very funny because dana was like well i think you forgot one and sent them a picture of who these terrifying meat watch and he's like and they're like no absolutely not <laughs> we've all me and some other people were like no you gotta make the meat watch <laughs> It's gross. You gotta do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, we cut to Rain and Ida fighting, and this is a pretty good fight. Uh, it's much more impressive than Ida ever was when she had her magic, except for the Lilith fight. Yeah, I was about to say, except for that fight, when it's like, that's that's some dope shit. I mean, that's the one time that I've used a screen cap from a fight in the series as the episode picture. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, she manages to get in close and plays a recording of them playing Rain's Rhapsody together, asking if they remember that, but they don't, and give her one last chance to run. Uh, she pretty much intends to stay, but more guards show up, calling for Rain, and she goes for her invisibility glyph, only to discover that it fell out of her hair. This is the second time that's happened. Maybe this hair is not very secure storage. <laughs> yep. 
so, yeah. Oh wait, no, she's she's kind of like patting at her shirt to get it, like not at her hair though. So maybe she actually did have it in her clothing and not just shoved in her hair. That's in fair. In this time. I just don't understand why people don't have pockets in this series. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, no, we'll see. We'll see. Luce has a pocket in uh, episode four because Amity takes a glyph out of there. <laughs> in that episode. <laughs> So Luce has pockets, but also Luce is the only human, so maybe witches just maybe witches are just like uh every pair of like femme clothes in uh you know, modern day Earth where nobody has pockets. Nightmare world. Yeah. And Luce only does because Luce is a gender non conforming individual who wears shorts. Listen, I'm not the person I was back in high school, but there was a time where I refused to leave the house. If I had less than eight pockets on me, I had a lot of stuff that I carried. There. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, uh, the, she's dropped the glyph, and Rain picks it up and hands it back, telling her to go home, maybe travel somewhere for a while, but not to contact them again, because they work for the Emperor now. Uh, Ida runs right as the guards arrive, asking if Rain is hurt, and they say no, but they're definitely wiping a tear away from their eye. Mm-hmm. Uh, Which, oh boy, when you remember what happened in Them the Bugs Kids, it's like, oh, this is it's even harder now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, do we like, want to talk oh, about that, or would we rather wait? We we can hold off in two weeks when we do that, but it's like, oh yeah, geez. Okay. Uh, um, in that case, I guess I should point out now, for the sake of retroactive continuity, that when they drank uh, Tara's tea earlier, they did do a little whistle while they were blowing on it to cool it off. Um, yeah, it's a little like. It's kind of like something you don't notice as much at that point, but definitely when you remember again context from Thumbs and Bricks Kids, it's like, oh, okay, I see what they've been doing yeah. this whole time. <laughs> that will be relevant later. Um, Rain is such a good character. <laughs> so uh, out on the outskirts of the city, uh, on the pier, Amity and Luce get Kikimura to the Hands Dragon, which we learn is named Princess. Uh, Luce is sad to see her go, but apparently Principal Bump has been housing her and just cannot keep doing that. I don't blame him. It is a dragon. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Luce is very excited about all of this. Since they pulled it off, that's, you know, proof that you can have the best of both worlds. And Kigimura makes a big show of talking about how kind Luce is and how foolish. Because now that she's getting a promotion, she literally does not care about her family anymore and they just put her on a dragon. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, even when Amity points out that the whole thing might have been a lie, she says she's willing to take that risk and that her family can burn and that she's going to give Bellows a couple troublemakers as presents. <laughs> Which again, her, her family sucks, and I can't also disagree with the fact that she's like, my family can burn for all I care, because, again, not had the greatest time with my own family. <laughs> yeah, it's... It's interesting, in a way. Like, I'm certainly a proponent of cutting off people who are bad for you, but, like, up until this point, she seemed like she really wanted to go be with her family. She just couldn't. And now she does not care if they die. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. But at the same time, she was also thinking that she basically was barely clinging on to her position, and now she's like, oh, I'm getting a promotion? Fuck them. Yeah. <laughs> Why would I go back to people who are clearly, like, willing to cut me out of, my, out of their lives just because I can't, like, put off work to go hang out for an afternoon? Yeah, no, Why absolutely. I can instead stay and get a fucking new job. You're 100% right. It just feels very sudden, that's all. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah. Um... 
Oh, important note, she doesn't know who Amity is, but she does recognize her from Eclipse Lake, so... <laughs> Yeah, it's a bit strange that she doesn't recon. I mean, I guess maybe she doesn't recognize Amity because she doesn't have her green hair. But it's like, I feel, true, like yeah. I feel like any of the blights are like pretty recognizable, considering that like, especially with the fact that Odalia and Alador are literally like, kind of contractors for the Emperor at this point. Yeah, especially given that they used to use Amity as uh, basically a punching bag for their shows. Yeah, and I mean, she also was like there as like Lilith's like protege and it's like Lilith worked in the Empress Government at the time so it's yeah it's it's a bit strange that she doesn't like to recognize who Amity is. Yeah exactly but uh so she has Princess attack and Luce and Amity do a combo move with Luce creating an ice pillar and then Amity flash evaporating it with her purple fire to create a huge steam cloud it's very good but almost entirely ineffective <laughs> yeah, as the dragon really continues to chase them <laughs> Yeah, it's really just like a desperation, like, we gotta try to make some cover and get out of here. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so they do another combo move where Amity fires rocket fists made of abomination goo that have ice glyphs imprinted in them. So when they connect, they freeze the target they touched. This is brilliant since glyphs activate on touch. I love this. Yeah, it's, I especially like how it's like, this is the first time we really actually see the two of them fight together, but it's like... They are so fully aware of like what each other is capable of, and they fight so well together. Exactly. That's how you know that they're made for each other if they can kick ass together, right? <laughs> the, the, only, the only way they could be gay is if they actually fought each other directly at some point, but I don't think they're going to do that at this point in the show. You never know. They still have time to get swords. Um... <laughs> I mean, yeah, fair. Yeah, so uh, Princess gets frozen, but she busts out pretty much immediately and is about to eat them only to be subdued by a bunch of seaweed. Uh, Terra is here, popping out of the water in a big, like, plant pod. At this point, she says that Bellows has, like, a lot of plans, but starting riots by hurting kids does not figure into any of them, which... This made me sad. I... Mm. There would be riots if the cops hurt kids in the boiling aisles. The demons oh, yeah. in hell are literally better than real people on Earth. Yep, sure are. <sighs> but, yeah, so, um, <clears throat> moving past that real quick and not dwelling on our hell world, uh, Kikimura asks why Terra isn't watching over Rain, and she reveals that she wasn't here for Rain, she was here for Kikimura this whole time. As it turns out, uh, that promotion she mentioned is real if Kikimura proved her dedication somehow, and she did pass. Uh, Kikimura is thrilled by this, immediately asking who she gets to command. She's a power-hungry little monster, but the only perk is that she gets to live. <laughs> yep. Your, your, your promotion is continuing to be alive, Kikimura. Congratulations, you asshole. <laughs> Yeah, um, so Terra grabs Kikimura and heads off, saying to the kids that the Emperor says he's looking forward to meeting her. She does say it that way, um, rather than meeting her again. I don't know why, but it, it's just a weird phrase. Uh, yeah. Luz kind of tackle hugs Amity and thanks her for saving her, and asks how she can make it up to her, at which point Amity asks her to talk about the video. Um, she says she didn't watch it, but... She does know that Luce made the door and saw her mom. I'm not sure how she knows that if she didn't watch the video, but I guess she's just making connections here. Yeah, she's basically just intuiting, like, okay, clearly something... Because, like, Luce is usually, like, a happy-go-lucky goofball, and it's, like, she's clearly, like, distraught over something, so it's, like, clearly something has to have changed her. 
and it's like, okay, she can basically just figure it out from there. Because, like, we don't get a good idea of, like, how much time has passed between, like, Eclipse Lake and this episode. Yeah. Like, it's, you have, to, you have to assume it's, like, probably been at least a week between when they were, like, able to actually make the door, and, like, it's probably only a couple days after uh, yesterday's lie at this point. Yeah, so it's, like, it's definitely, like, it, it's... I guess this is something that still feels weird to me. It's like, why would why would Gus Willow and Ebony not have been present when Luce made the door just in case if something went wrong and like she had to like say goodbye to them just in case? Because <laughs> it's like, it, it's very strange that they weren't present for that at the least. Ebony, considering that she's her girlfriend and everything, but it's like, yeah, eh, maybe maybe they nah, maybe they were busy that day and couldn't be there. But also at the same time, <laughs> I guess like at the same time, Luce didn't really tell them that she made one i guess so i don't know it's 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 a bit weird yeah I've... there's a lot of secrets going around this house um yeah, yeah. so Lou says that amity was just so hopeful that this would you know work and make things better that loose didn't want to hurt her and uh amity just calmly asks her to tell what happens uh, Luce does, but thankfully it's a cut explanation. It's not a full recap. I love this because I hate it when characters tell us stuff we already know. Yeah, <laughs> we, we don't get anything of like the whole stupid as you know kind of explanation really in the show. Yeah, exactly. There have been a couple episodes where we did that, specifically the first episode of season two, but that's more forgivable. Yeah, um, that that was really just because it had been like ten months between seasons, but it's like yeah, we gotta remind the audience just in case kind of deal. Yeah, that's why I was so happy with the opening of this episode, because she was recording that video for her mom after the seven-month hiatus, and it would be very natural to just recap last episode, but we didn't, and I'm glad for that. Yeah, for it to be like a much longer intro of just being like, yeah, I know that we had our differences, and blah blah blah, and we talked about this stuff, it's like, okay, yeah, so at least they cut that off, and it's just like, okay, yeah, let's see if we can reach an agreement upon this instead of being at an impasse. (laughs) <laughs> but also at the same time, Luce knows that this message won't get to her mom anyway, so I don't know why she's about to record it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we get a brief shot of King and Hootie escaping, and they seem to really like each other now. It's not King just hating Hootie all the time. Yeah, uh, they're 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 buds. They like doing <laughs> chaos together. <laughs> and uh, as they're escaping, a huge crowd gathers in the Bonesboro Town Square, where Kikimura is introing the Emperor. If I were going to have someone intro me, I would probably tell them more than five minutes beforehand so that they could prep something, but whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so the Emperor shows up as a giant hologram, a la Supreme Leader Snoke, and uh, he tells everyone, well, he thanks everyone first, and tells them that the Coven system is working. In one month, when the tide is at its lowest and the moon eclipses the sun, the day of unity will occur, and they'll all go to the head of the titan, where the worthy will inherit a utopia free of wild magic. And then he says he's grateful for all of their support, and that he's always hidden his face because he's just so afraid, but now he takes his mask off, and so everybody gets to see his more or less human face with the big green scar... Gus and Willow are not impressed. <laughs> yeah, I, I like it. I like that g- joke there because, like, the start of the episode, they're like, "What's he like under the mask?" And then mm-hmm. they finally see, and they're like, "Eh, not impressive." Yeah. <laughs> did, did you he, did you notice that like in the audience, like when he thanks everybody, there's a person that just screams, "We love you, Grandpa!" <laughs> <laughs> it's very funny. There's just like a person that just says that as everybody else is cheering. <laughs> uh. Um, Ida says that revealing his face like this is just a stunt to distract from all the wild utopia talk, but honestly, though, 
if you've built a cult and you have people on board with your cult and you're ready to take them to utopia you don't need distractions at this point you've you've yeah. built your base yeah he's established this for 50 years at this point it's like there like there are dissenters obviously but it's like the majority of people are fully just going along with this already as is exactly uh at this point amity asks if bellos is planning something and i just honey <laughs> you're the smart I mean, cl one clearly yeah <laughs> pay attention yeah I, I do like the bit where it's like as she's like clearly like panicking talking to loose about it like that she does actually have a little bit of her voice crack to like show that she's concerned it's it's a little subtle and bit of good VA work from Mae Whitman here because it's like yeah she is a teenager she would be at that point where like her voice is cracking a bit yeah concerned at times like this no it's definitely a great performance and she's also freaked out because he's planning to meet Luce again and what else doesn't she know and what else will happen but like you've been on Team Owl House for a while now Amity you know he's planning something <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyway, yeah. So, um, Luce says she doesn't know any of those answers, but for now, uh, they'll just take things one day at a time. And they hold hands, there's fireworks, uh, it's cute, except that we end on audio of the crowd just chanting the Emperor's name. The end. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's definitely kind of a, like, way better way to return to the show after the Season 2A premiere. Because, I mean, yeah. that, like, the season 2A premiere is very much like, okay, where are the characters now after the events of uh, the season 1 finale? Mm -hmm. Compared to now, where it's like, it, it's still discontinuing, but it's like, it's a nice, again, it's a nice check-in with the characters, and also it's like, yep, we're we're getting to there, we actually have a time frame for the day Unity finally, even though, like, way back at the <laughs> near the end of season 1, they were like, it's, it's close, but it's like... Apparently it was like still like three months away, and it's like I guess that's still close, but it's still that's that's a bit of time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I I also just especially like the fact that we, I mean it it sucks to compare it to this because like Cora's been in the news for some bad stuff recently, but it's like I just like that they're not doing kind of a repeat of the Mako and Cora relationship of them like trying to discover things behind each other's back and not yeah. treating each other respectfully because i mean like it's definitely like yeah like amity realizes that this is still new for both of them and they need to take things you know slowly but she's also not about to like go behind Lucy's back to find out things it's like no the healthier thing is to, like just talk to your girlfriend about it and just find out what's going on yeah it's very like i love their relationship i truly really do yeah. but also i'm just super curious about like amity grew up in an extremely emotionally abusive household how did she learn this level of yeah <laughs> like maybe she's just so starved for any sort of like affection from somebody that she's like this is the first person that's really shown me any like care i need to make sure to be really curious about this and not fuck it up yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's just so emotionally intelligent, and I love that. I love that we're seeing it. I just don't know how she got that. <laughs> yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a little bit of a disconnect, but at the same time, I'm so glad that they're not doing a lot of this bad stuff. Like e even when they have like another bit of a disagreement in four in three episodes time, it's like it's completely resolved by the end of the episode, and it's like yes, there's clearly like there's no ill like 
the will meant in it. Which again, yeah. we'll get there next week, but yeah. Oh boy, I get to do the co- the conversation about I I get to do the synopsis of that episode. Oh boy, <laughs> that episode where every time I'm like I am a big strong adult, I can handle this and go back and rewatch that bit. And I'm like, oh no, I can't. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> gonna be fun. <laughs> yeah, this show just keeps finding new ways to make me cry. <laughs> Uh, yeah. That's what they want. You know that, right? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, yes. Dana Terrace has said that season 2B is the pain part of season 2, and it's like, yep, very much there already. Huh. Uh, yep. But, uh, yeah, so that's my episode. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was not wrong about having a lot to talk about. We talked about that episode for a full hour. We don't normally do that. Yeah, no, it's, it's a lot. I feel like we're probably going to go the same as length for this one, because, again, uh, episode 12 has a lot of shit happening in it, too. Uh, yeah, it sure does. Yeah, you can finally talk about how much it was like, hmm, I definitely do have a tattoo of a glyph on my arm. This definitely is a bit uh, strange in comparison when I'm thinking about this episode. <laughs> yes, uh, yep, elsewhere and else when episode 12 of season 2 opens on a shot of Luce's Portal Door 2.0 poster po- uh, poster board, not poster board, <laughs> which has little notes such as like wondering why Billis wanted the key slash portal, wondering if there's more Titan blood somewhere to be found. A little funny note from King saying, you remember the drink? Water, with blood definitely crossed out, <laughs> because I guess people on the Boiling House just drink blood and not water, I guess. Either that or this is just King's blood obsession showing through. Yeah, it might be, yeah. I mean, it is King. And there's also uh, Abney's blood-covered uh, glove on the, the board as well, with a little other note from Luz reminding herself to buy her a new glove. Yeah. Which is, like, cute, but also it's like, Luz, you're definitely using Eda's money, it's not your own money. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's like, have Eda pay, give me money to buy a new glove is really its context. <laughs> but yeah, she's just there, like, watching the Echo Mouse spinning the, like, running the wheel, and she's just talking to herself about fi- trying to figure out why she couldn't get the door to work on her first attempt, but she then goes and joins a party that Houdini is hosting for Lilith to celebrate her new job as the assistant curator of the Supernatural Museum of History, <laughs> which is something that we already had kind of gotten context for based on the uh, charity uh, event that Dana ran where they played this audio of Lilith sending a message to Houdini after the events of Houdini's door where she talked about her job. Yeah. Yep, uh, this party also consists of Ida, King, uh, their mom, Gwen, uh, Tiny Nose for some reason. I guess I guess because who these friends of Tiny Nose, he invited her. <laughs> uh, the Emperor's Coven Guard Steve, who is from, like, really only showed up in one episode because he was there, like, with Lilith when they were looking for the, uh, the information about the Bloom of Eternal Youth mm-hmm. way back in Season 1, and he got, like, name-dropped in uh, Eclipse Lake but didn't actually show up himself. Yeah. Uh, Morton for well, some reason? he might have. Uh, I guess, yeah. <laughs> we, we, we never got, like, Steve pointed out in the episode, but he definitely was present. But yeah, uh, yeah, like I said, Morton's there for some reason. I guess because he's basically helping Ida and Lilith with the elixir, so I guess that's why he got invited. Yeah. It, it's a bit of a funny thing that he's there. <laughs> and also, a uh, woman that we haven't met yet, but will be introduced to you soon. Because she basically is, like, just kind of bouncing for the party pretty quickly because she has like another adventure to go on like basically just like 
goes and fully like wrestles a griffin from the sky with her like weird like whip talisman to just fly off into the sky <laughs> and lilith has an outburst to loose where she calls her flora desplora bad girl historian celebrity and her former mentor in the emperor's coven <laughs> definitely not at all a reference to anything else nope <laughs> just original character do not steal it's so i noticed something about her that i didn't notice last time and it's moderately horrifying in context. I don't know how deep we want to talk about her since she's just kind of a one-off. Yeah, oh, no, I said it on air. Now she's going to get an episode. Yeah, uh, every time we talk about this character is not a character, they come up again. I fully expect that Florida Desplora will show up again at some point, considering <laughs> that they actually bothered. I mean, she got also name-dropped in the audio, but recorded by Sissy Jones. Of the yeah. Letter, that little son to Hootie, so it's like... She showed up in that and then showed up in the show, so it's like, I wouldn't put a pass in the bring Flora the Flora back for one point. <laughs> <laughs> but what were you going to mention about her? Um, so, I mean, like, we all know she's based on Dora, right? She's Dora the Explorer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the thing is, though, is she uses a whip all the time, and that whip is made from blue leather and topped with a monkey head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's her palace, then. <laughs> She has a monkey talisman that can turn into a I don't whip. think it's a talisman. Its eyes are X's. I, I, I think it is supposed to be a talisman. Thing. I don't think it's just a monkey corpse that she turned into a whip. I think she tanned boots his hide. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Who can say? I think it's supposed to be the talisman, but I don't know. At the same time, it might just be a whip with a monkey head on it. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Lilith is pissed just because she only ever got a desk job back at the Emperor's Coven, I guess during the time when Flora was her mentor, whereas Flora got to lead a life of excitement, and Lilith's just hell-bent on proving herself via museum exhibit that will wow everyone to really show up for former mentor. Oh, sorry, real quick, uh, I also just really loved that Luce was suspicious about the name, given that she's the one who actually speaks Spanish. <laughs> yep. Luce is, like, definitely aware that some weird shit's going on here. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, after the party, Luce is just studying Philip's diary some more, where he muses that it's either the 1660s or 70s, because he just can't keep track of time very well, well, not on Earth, and that he's collected all the portal agreements, but still needs to find the Collector, which is the Sun and Moon person we briefly saw back in Hootie's door. <laughs> I mean, months ago by this point in real world, and only like a few weeks ago in our podcast. But uh, the entry cuts out as Philip says that he and his companions need to first face some sort of creature, and King and Ida say they've never I've also heard of the Collector. Very, very, very funny note here that, like, Ida finds it a bit uh, full of somebody to use the word the in their name when she also goes <laughs> by the Owl Lady. <laughs> yeah, she didn't pick that, though. Yeah, true, people picked it for her, but she still didn't, like, dissuade people from using the name. <laughs> like, she does straight up have a title that starts with the, just like the Collector. But yeah, uh, Luce is uh, so focused on meeting the Collector because she feels like she failed last time for first door and needs to do better. And she just mentions she wishes to go back in time and talk to Philip about the door, at which point she has an idea to ask Ida if time magic is a thing that exists. Uh, Ida says that time magic isn't really a thing, but that there's an urban legend about uh, these things called time pools that move around uh, just randomly, I guess, through the boiling owls, and that she and Lilith used to try to find them when they were kids. So Luce excitedly runs off to talk to Lilith about them, 
where she finds her working on her very exciting exhibit of the architectural history of dead warding and balusters. Sorry to interrupt, but, but just mm-hmm. real quick. Um, so when they're talking about this, Ida brings out a book of urban legends, and I captured screenshots about the entries that she flips mm-hmm. to. Yeah, there, there's a bunch of goofy ones in there. <laughs> yeah, it's fascinating. I love this. But... um i'm not gonna read all of them because there's a lot but mostly i love the possum entry because the possum entry reads as follows the fearsome possum more like trash cat just ridiculous impossible no one believes in them <laughs> yep that's the whole thing <laughs> yeah it's pretty goofy because like when Nita brings it up Luce is like those are pre-owned she's like yeah yeah kid jerk it. <laughs> <laughs> i oh, do also... like the it hmm? Oh, the other thing uh, I was going to mention is that on the page for the time pools, there's a diagram explaining how they work, and they're straight up just tesseracting from um, Wrinkle in Time. Yeah, I, I did see people comparing it to that, yeah. <laughs> but I, I also like the entry about the lender man who just lends clothes to people. <laughs> hmm? Yeah, it's a very funny play on Slenderman. Oh, he doesn't lend clothes. Oh, it, lend, it lends stuff to people, right? Uh, Money. Oh, okay. I, I, I was misremembering based on it. I remember seeing it there back when yeah. I first watched the episode, but I didn't look closely this time, even though I'm the one doing the fucking <laughs> explanation of the episode. As you approach the teller's window, a figure welcomes you with open arms. So long. They're so long. Too long. But the terms he's offering you are too good to pass up. The pile of snails too tall. The interest rate too tempting. You don't know what's come over you. You accept on the spot. And that's when you realize the figures you saw were nothing but an introductory rate. You reach for the snails in your own pocket, but they're already gone. Now they belong to the Lender Man. <laughs> uh, you clearly have a lot more experience with DMing than me, considering that you're able to like read off stuff like that in a nice little tone of voice. <laughs> I just like doing spooky narrations sometimes, that's all. Fair, fair yeah. <laughs> That's my yeah. uh, that's my true crime voice. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But yes. Uh, Lilith just immediately realizes that her plan to one up Flora definitely won't work based on Lucy's expression, where she just has a whole like, "Yeah, sure, honey," kind of look on her face. <laughs> uh, but yeah, after giving her a bit of a pep talk by uh, mentioning that she refers to Lilith as her cool aunt in her journal, Luce comes up with the idea of them working together to make a great exhibit on the time pools for the museum, while her being able to get information out of Philip. And Lilith admits that she had made a device to try to find the time pools back with Vita when they were kids, but that it required a really powerful source of energy that she never could provide to it. So Luce just goes ahead and offers, uh, I guess, uh, one of the glove, uh, fingers from the glove that has tiny blood in it. And Lilith just fully agrees to help because she's just like, yep, my Bowser project isn't going to press anybody. Let's do this instead. Yeah, like, I like that this happens, but also Luce does not think twice about giving up one of the fingers of this glove. Yeah, That is a I limited mean, resource. It is, but at the same time, she does have four of them left at this point, so it's like she still has th- essentially three more attempts at the door, and it's like, she definitely does think that doing this would really help with making it actually succeed on one of the other remaining. So it's like, <laughs> it's, you know, from her state of, from her uh, viewpoint, it's like, it's an acceptable loss, considering that it might really help with any other future attempts at making the door. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. 
after a montage of them following various clues from Mita's book and little little device, they eventually come to find a beach that looks empty at first, but Luce kicks a rock in her disappointment and see it sit disappear in the sand, so she actually does the reasonable thing and shoves her face into it, just like she did back with the uh like portraits back in Understanding Willow. <laughs> and she pops up in a prehistoric era with dinosaur like demons and excitedly tells Lilith that they were successful. Uh, Luke does a few more pulls and eventually finds one to the Dead Wardian period, but shortly before that, like, Lilith actually, like, shoves her face through one and accidentally trips over herself in the past because she thought it was a rock. <laughs> so, it's a very funny little goof that it's like, yeah, it's like in there just for Lilith to accidentally have kicked her own head. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, Lilith warns Luce of all the things that could possibly go wrong, like them being stuck in the time period that the tide comes in, or the blood fly effect, but she, after that she says it's just fully timed to boogie down the history town, which, I, I, it's very funny when Lilith is able to just be herself rather than pretending to be like a shitty authoritarian cop. Yeah. It's like it's 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 very funny when she gets to just be herself because she also is doing like a silly little hip thrusty dance while doing like finger guns off to the side doing this, <laughs> and they just a lot go of finger the... guns lately, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I presume that like a lot of people were taught finger guns by Luz. I don't think it's like something they <laughs> mostly would know. <laughs> yeah, and they head off to go see Philip. But before that, back at the Owl House, uh, Edith sees that Gwen is still in town, because it's like the next day, and Gwen tells her that her dad wanted to visit too, but Ida tried to dodge confronting what the Owl Beast had did 10 decades ago, that we had seen back in her little flashback segment in Knock 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 on the Hoodie's Door. <laughs> and instead, we just immediately cut to back to Luz and Lilith. It's, it's again, one of those, like, very strange, like, we're here for, like, a few seconds kind of scenes before we cut right back. <laughs> so, it's, it's a bit strange. But, yeah. We cut back to them, who, and they disguise themselves with some headgear that they just found on the floor from, like, dead people and whatnot to better blend in. And they're just completely surprised to see that the Bone Throw of the Past is a very pleasant place where people actually help each other out compared to the current day Bonesboro, where everything sucks forever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yep. Definitely not at all anything weird going on here after regime change. Nope. Definitely <laughs> not. But yeah, Luz uh, starts asking folks if they've seen Philip around, and eventually they find him being bullied by two brothers with, like, conveniently colored fangs taunting him while holding his diary and Luce knocks the diary away, diary away from them and we get another weird cut back to the house where Gwen is trying to get Ida to come out of her room instead uh, <laughs> Ida is busy packing Luce's little bag that she brought with her back from the human realm full of elixirs to run off and she is just kind of quickly explaining to King how she slash the owl beast had to hurt her dad and she doesn't want to like really come to terms with that by talking to him and King just kind of randomly finds one of Lilith's old Emperor's Coven outfits and a black mop in Ida's room for some reason. And is just pretending to be Lilith and everything, like saying, like, join me in Emperor's Coven and we'll rule as gods. And this immediately just gives Ida a really bad idea of trying to disguise herself as Lilith to sneak out. <laughs> but then we immediately cut right back to Luce and Lilith and Philip instead. So, again, it's some weird structuring still going on in this show unfortunately but at the same time they don't yeah. have a lot of episodes so they got to deal with it again i guess <laughs> but yeah and the two brothers decide to leave you know saying that it's not worth their time to deal with loose but they also grow philip on the way out about what happened to their brother blue thang and his palisman 
uh, Luz picks up some of the pages of the diary that fell out as they were taunting him with it, and sees a doodle that has two brothers in the margin, but before she can ask about that, Philip just kind of rudely grabs them from her and refuses to talk to her at all, even though she just helped him out, <laughs> until she actually mentions like offering to help him find the collector. Yeah, so, he's yep. like yep. he's not a good dude. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, so this was like the first clue that's like, oh, this guy's a fucker, and then it's like, <laughs> oh, we definitely see him be a fucker in like five five minutes time. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, they walk for a bit, and Luce is giving a cover story for herself and Lilith, calling themselves Zura and Dertrude, who now seek the collector to reclaim their castle from the Togers. I really liked the joke about the Togers. I never actually noticed that the first time I watched it until I <laughs> saw the subtitles. I thought he just said ogres. <laughs> very funny play on words. And they enter a cave, and Luce produces a like glyph since Philip doesn't have a torch on him, and he comments on how it took him years to find the other three glyphs, and just kind of muses about how it seems like the world wanted to hide them from him, which is definitely not foreshadowing. <laughs> not at all. Well... <laughs> He didn't have the light glyph. He yeah, copies he it down in his book. He had no idea about this. This is a yeah. totally new one. So. Yep. But he found the other three, but still said it took him years to find those three. Yeah, and exactly. It's like, yeah, almost like the world doesn't want to have him have access to magic. I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Good, good job breaking it loose. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, farther into the cave, Philip draws a very elaborate glyph combo, which doesn't include the light glyph at all. I actually pause it to make sure that it's actually yeah. something he came up with beforehand. But he uses it to teleport them directly to the collector. Before we continue with them, we go back to the Owl House where Ida pulls off her absolutely flawless disguise to like get away from her mom, and Gwen's just not buying it at all, at all but still lets Ida leave just because I guess she's just not willing to like confront <laughs> uh, Ida about this. <laughs> but as soon as Nita exits the house, then like rips her cheating the skies off, she immediately runs into her dad outside, and she instead decides to actually sit down and talk to him rather than just running off, considering that she's just fully been caught here anyway. Yeah. Yep. But yeah, but we return back to the others, and we see that Philip's glyph combo brought them to the head of the Titan, and there's a large door there with a puzzle lock behind which Philip says the collector is. Uh, Lilith hesitates about all this because not only does she know that the puzzle is already partially solved, but that something about the way Philip talks and like reassures people is very uncomfortably familiar. So <laughs> Luce goes to talk to Philip instead, leaving Lilith to finish the puzzle. And hey, turns out again, it didn't take very long for us to have confirmation that Philip is a fucker because Luce sees him writing down in his journal about how he handily defeated the beast but lost his companions to it and Luce demands an answer as to why he brought them here, and he just absolutely just fully coldly admits that he needed sacrifice at the exact same time that Lilith opens the door and gets immediately grabbed by the monster inside of it. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Definitely you know, it's didn't, didn't all... get a better look at that giant glyph, because teleportation would make their whole thing real easy. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's just that like he drew it so fast because he's been drawing it for ages, and that he didn't have a chance to really like memorize any of it. Yeah. At the same time, I mean, as we saw in episode 5, there are actually some incompleted glyph combos in the diary, so maybe she will find it in there. That would be nice. Yeah. Luce uh, immediately grills Philip on using them, and he admits that they were way easier to trick than Blue Fang, and so Luce just rushes to help Lilith, who's being attacked by a larger version of the uh, Stone Sleeper that we saw when they were in the prehistoric time pool. 
and Lewis using the nice glyph to make a trip and release Lilith, while Philip reveals that his like leg brace is actually just a fake uh, brace because it's actually a collapsible shovel. <laughs> this shovel is actually pretty cool, I gotta admit. It's like, it, the, the head of the shovel kind of just comes out of nowhere. It's kind of yeah. dope, <laughs> not gonna lie. <laughs> but he uses it to dig up an object that looks like a mirror and has like a crescent moon on it, which people say looks very familiar to Amity's necklace, but Amity Blight's necklace is not a crescent moon. We see it fully, we, like in previous episodes, you didn't mention it, but we see a full dark shot of Amity where we see that it's not a crescent moon. It's just <laughs> a normal circle with a different like metal bit around it. It's not a moon. <laughs> People keep thinking it has something to do with everything, but it's like, no, it's just it's just the design that looks like a crescent moon at times based on the angle. But yeah, <laughs> don't know why I had to bring that up. I just want, yeah, no. People think that Amity Blight's involved with all this stuff somehow. It's like, no, she's just a kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Lou shouts at Philip about how nothing is worth hurting people over, which, again, he just coldly disagrees while drawing in a teleportation glyph and warping himself away to lead them to their deaths. And... Luz tells Lilith that she should have listened to her about Philip, but then remembers that she did listen to her about something else, as she recalls that Lilith had previously mentioned how stone sleepers are usually tamed by scratching them, which is something we didn't actually talk about earlier, so something she briefly mentioned offhand at the start of the episode. Yeah, I so do want to ask about that a little bit, actually. I mean, we saw that Lilith saw the other stone sleeper, but did Luz actually even look at the thing? Uh, I think she did because, like, when she popped her head into the first time uh, pool, she definitely does see, like, the prehistoric era. So, like, she does see a stone sleeper, I think, before it, like, she, like, goes to sleep. That's fair, but, I guess. But also, but also, like, when Lilith peeks in, she actually does say what it is and explains it a bit briefly. No, I mean, I know that Lilith explains what it is. I just, I didn't remember a shot of Luce seeing the thing, and so I was confused yeah. when she recognized it. Yeah, no, she, she, she did see it briefly. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah, uh, yeah. She goes and does this set to save themselves. I guess she just like scratches it and tames it and gets its trust and everything. Uh, it's it's a very funny bit where like as like Luz runs off to do that. Like she doesn't tell Lilith what she's doing, and it's a very funny bit where Lilith's just like, "Eden's gonna kill me. Eden's gonna kill me. Eden's gonna kill me." <laughs> it's it's a very funny bit where it's like, yeah, it's like <laughs> like Lilith is just freaking the fuck out because she expects that she's just fully gonna see Luz get eaten alive here. <laughs> very goofy <laughs> yeah uh we got the philip just walking off writing in his journal talking about like what he's gonna call the weird mirror thing at one point he uses calling it like a uh, shiny boy or whatever the term was i forget fully what he said oh, yeah, round it's a uh, round boy right <laughs> a little anachronistic but i don't mind <laughs> yeah but the others just immediately catch up with him on the stone sleeper. I guess he didn't teleport far enough away to not be caught back by them. But also, he expected them to die, so whatever. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, Luce demands to know how the mirror is going to help them build a portal, but he says it's simply for something else, and offers to tell her more if she agrees to be a sacrifice again at some point, because they'll need help again at some point for something. So instead of that, Lilith just walks over to him and fucking socks him in the nose so hard that it leaves a scar. I'm not sure how Lilith got this strong, but at the same time, <laughs> I guess all witches are just strong enough to punch a person to the point where it leaves a scar. So, who knows. So, I mean, I gotta be real. I would probably have agreed to be the sacrifice again to get the information. And then just fucking And down. then punched him in the face because he yeah. clearly can't <laughs> stop you. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Like, it's but, like, yeah, like, yeah, he has glyphs, but, like, we don't see him, like, use them in, like, any sort of, like, combative way during this episode. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, I feel like that would have been the smarter thing, but at the same time, they're like, eh, fuck this guy, let's just get out of here. That's exactly my point. Once he's proven yeah. that he's a jerk who can't be trusted, you take whatever deal, and then you screw him over. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But yeah, they, they ride off on the stone sleeper and also, like, kind of trample him partially on their way out. And as they are riding off, like, Lilith encourages Luz because if a jerk like Philip can make a portal, then someone like Luz clearly can as well. And Luz says that they have some time left before the tide comes in, so she and Lilith go and look at the balusters that she uh, was stoked about back in her little, uh, <laughs> you know, museum exhibit. So, yeah. so Lilith has fun. She gets to do what she wanted to do at the first point of it. It's like, it's definitely not going to impress anybody, but she's having fun at least. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we cut back to Ida and Del, and Ida is apologizing about not being in touch with her dad, and he just wishes that she had let them help her after all these years of being a fugitive and almost being petrified. And he then says that he can't keep chasing her after 20 years, to which Ida admits that she's still guilty that he hasn't been able to carve a talisman ever since she attacked him. I didn't mention it earlier, but yeah, apparently the Clothorn family is like notoriously good for being like a line of talisman carvers. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, she says to not forgive her for it because she doesn't deserve it. But he's actually only here to show her that he's been helping the back queen replenish the Palestrum wood forest and that Ida should try and let the past stay in the past and that's okay to move on. And he leaves after saying that Albert, you know, like carving Albert with Ida was actually one of his favorite memories, which is like really touching. It's, it's, yeah, Del is a good dad. And, yeah. And at that, uh, Luz and Lilith arrive back to the house and kind of just briefly retell their adventure to Ida. Like, you know, just being like, yeah, we we saw that guy. We, he's an asshole. We punched him in the face. Fuck him. <laughs> but yeah, and then we end the episode on the shot back in the 1600s of Philip being fucking pissed about being rightfully socked in the face after he tried to kill off Luz and Lilith multiple yeah. times. And... His arm begins to swell up as it's revealed that he has a tattoo combo glyph. Uh, uh, ta yeah, a tattoo combo glyph. Fucking, I can't speak. A glyph tattoo combo on it. Whatever the fuck. You get what I'm meaning at. He's got a fucking glyph combo on his arm. And he desperately searches the pal does palestrian for one that's still alive to crack open and breathe in. And he, his voice definitely sounds a bit like Bellows as he activates the mirror. And it also is like a subtle thing where some like a bit of his uh, scar on his nose from Lilith actually extends a bit as he's there, like yeah. breathing in the, the palisman. And it's like, yeah, it's like, yeah, no shocker here. The theory that everybody came up with of him like, being a younger Bellows is confirmed. It's <laughs> just fully him. And yeah, it ends with him uh, turning on the mirror or whatever, and like we see like some imagery of the collector, and he's like, "Yep, yeah, I'm gonna find you." <laughs> Help me. Yeah. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a fucking lot for an episode. It's, it's like, so it's, much. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot. They always have like some episodes like this where it's like there's just so much crammed into it, where it's like, "Yep, tons of theories confirmed, tons of like glimpses of like what the world was like before Bellows fucked everything up because yeah. it's just a." He's just an asshole racist colonizer from Britain. <laughs> He's a fucker. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I actually don't have a whole lot else in this. I never really have a lot about the episodes I really cover, just because I most covered in the process of that. I just have a few notes here. I like the bits where Lucy's just having fun in this episode when she comes up with the term snorses as Lilith is talking about snake horses. Yeah. And, and when her earlier rant about uh, Flora. And also I like her calling uh, 
Bonesboro back in the past as Babiesboro, and also <laughs> agreeing with somebody thinking that she's a crab maiden because she's talking to somebody as her head's sticking out through the sand. And like, then yes, making a crab part of her backstory later. Yeah, yeah, like Philip does say, like, thank you for your assistance, crab maiden. <laughs> It's a very funny thing. I definitely have seen somebody do uh, Elden Ring fan art because you know, like all the finger maintenance stuff, where it's uh, like Abby as the player character talking to Luce as standing in as the finger maiden, and she says, "I can play the role of crab maiden." <laughs> <laughs> it's very good. It's just a goofy thing where people immediately lop, like glomped onto crab maiden as a thing. <laughs> I guess I do have a question about the end there. Well, I mean, like, a few, but more specifically. So, Widdabane has just a pile of palismans in his mm-hmm. in his cave, whatever you want to call it, his yeah, secret his, lair. Yeah, it's a little base or whatever, yeah. Yeah, and so he's he's already eating them way back in the day, but, like, palismans are sapient and can leave. Why aren't they just leaving? They know he's eating them. <laughs> I think kind of the implication is that it's like, I mean, fully, like, pretty much implied that he got Blue Fang killed and took his talisman. So I think it's like if a witch dies, their talisman kind of goes, not like inert, but like in a form of stasis where they can't really be activated unless, like, I guess, unless, like, somebody like the Backwing comes along to, like, greet them or something. Because, well, I mean, like, it, yeah. I'm, I don't I'm not, know, because, I mean, the Backwing. Became a palace, a free palisman herself when her user died. Yeah, so. fair. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I mean, there's like, we, there's like a bunch of times that we've seen of like, you know, just like Arbert as the staff just hanging out, just like against the wall and not just being off the staff. Yeah. I mean, it's only it, it didn't really come up in my synopsis there, but like this is also the first time we ever saw a Lilith palisman off of the staff, and it's, it's such a oh God. I love Lilith's little fucking der- derpy bird, <laughs> that, little, <laughs> that little silly looking raven. <laughs> Like, I, I wonder if Lilith carved it herself as opposed to having her dad help her, like he did with uh, carving Albert, because Albert definitely looks like a step above the <laughs> raven. Well, she would have had to, right? Because um, Lilith's younger, isn't she? So. No, 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 Lilith's the older one. Ah, well, never mind. Y- Ida, yeah, she's like two years older than uh, Ida. Maybe she, like, crafted her own because she's like, oh, I gotta. Like, I can't just, like, uh, follow Anita's footsteps. I gotta find a way to, like, get better than her, so I gotta do my own. <laughs> and well, end up with her silly bird. I guess never... Because I thought all this time that Lilith was the younger sister, so it would have made sense to me that she had to carve the palisman because, you know, attacked. But yeah. if she's older, then I just have no explanation for this because she yeah, wouldn't no, even need yeah. to blaze a trail away from Ida. She'd be going first. <laughs> Yeah, like, that's the thing, like, yeah, like, uh, Dana has said that, like, Lilith is, like, two years older than Anita. Yeah, so. Like, that, 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 that kind of feeds into, like, why she was so desperate and resorted to, like, cursing her sister the wind, because she's like, oh, my sister is, like, younger to me, but still way better at magic than me. Yeah. I'm to do whatever I can, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's a, it's an interesting question where it's like, yeah, like, why are all these palestinians just, like, hanging out and not trying to flee? Like, maybe he's, like made some sort of enchantment over the entire cliff that makes them not be able to leave or something like maybe he's that done, would like, be interesting or something. yeah i don't know it's <laughs> it's interesting but also like i don't know it's kind of left into interpretation i guess here yeah but anyway i think you're probably okay because his glyph combo that turns him into a weird bulgy monster person doesn't include the light glyph so 
Oh, uh, this is true. Yep. <laughs> I guess I'm alright. I'm not gonna. I mean, I'm also not in the demon realm. So clearly, if I ever disappear at some point and the podcast is ends because I found the <laughs> trash bird and followed it through a door, then I should still be okay, right? Just never touch my, your shoulder. <laughs> yeah, never touch my shoulder. Because, like, I mean, again, he has a glyph combo on his arm. I just have a glyph. So it's like, it would just consume my flesh. It wouldn't, like, do, like,. Bolt out and turn me to a weird sludge monster over the course of <laughs> like hundreds of years. <sighs> yeah, it's a lot. Oh uh, yeah, wild episode. Yeah. Wild episodes. Yeah. Yep. We in two B, baby. <laughs> yep. It's only gonna get crazier from here, cause like I mean, there's there's a thing we'll have to bring up again about like Lilith Palisman in the next episode, cause there's a thing that's mentioned by a character. Yeah. It's like, hmm, I wonder why she still actually has her Palisman, but we'll do that next week when it comes up. <laughs> Just like yeah. how we'll get up to a lot more about rain in two weeks' time. Because, oh boy, there's a lot of rain still coming up. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> yep. Do you have anything else in that episode? I do not. Alright, uh, I've got trivia here for it. Because, again, I keep being disproven about being like, oh, there's not like a lot of more characters I'll be introduced to. Because, no, it turns out I have uh, quite a few characters still to cover <laughs> in this fucking show. And I'll have more in a couple episodes' time. Cause, oh wait, no, yeah, because I'll have to cover the characters we meet in episode 5, because there's a lot of characters. Cause yes, that's, indeed. That's, there's a lot of uh, child versions of the characters I gotta cover now <laughs> for that episode. But yes, uh, the first big one, Tara Snapdragon, is voiced by Deborah Wilson, who also played Devorah in Mortal Kombat Legends, Grace Walker in Wolfenstein 2 The New Colossus, and Wolfenstein Youngblood, and Sari Junda in uh, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. Goodness. Yeah, I recognize your voice immediately because it's like, I didn't play a whole lot of uh, Fallen Order, but I did play New Colossus, and it's like, oh yeah, she's cool. She's the cool Lady Grace who's unfortunately kind of introduced a little bit too late into the game. Unfortunately, <laughs> she doesn't get a chance to do a whole lot, unfortunately, in that game. Yeah, that's how that goes. Yeah, I didn't play Youngblood because also people said Youngblood is actually not that good, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> it's, it's a bit of a bummer. But yeah, we didn't cover him back when he was actually introduced, but he's properly introduced here, I guess, so I saved him for this point. Let's just use that as an excuse for why I didn't cover Philip Woodbane before. But he is voiced by Alex Lothar, who played Kenny in Black Mirror and James in The End of the Effing World. He doesn't really have a lot of credits, he's actually kind of a younger person. So yeah, it seems like he's only just kind of recently started with voice acting. But he does yeah. a pretty good job as Philip. That tracks. Um, I haven't watched it yet, but End of the Effing World is very much a... There's a specific genre of Netflix TV show about weird teenagers, and that's... Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, based on his like uh, synopsis I saw, he apparently plays a lot of like really sad kids, or like, or I guess really sad teens or whatever, and also like a lot of queer adults he plays as. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know his specific role in that show, but... If oh, yeah, it's... no, I've, I've not I've not seen End of the Effing World nor Black Mirror at all, but I know that... Yeah. I recognize the, the, the shows because people talk about them a lot. <laughs> yeah, um, like, the plot of that show is about a, essentially a teenager who wants to be a serial killer. <laughs> oh, cool! And he isn't yet, and then this girl starts hanging out with him, and he's just constantly looking for his opportunity to make her his first kill, so... Cool. Yeah, Great. like I say, Netflix shows about weird teenagers. All right. <laughs> oh, boy. 
But yes, uh, the other major character to cover in this is uh, Flora the Flora, because again, we don't know if she's coming back, but I'm going to preempt it right here by covering her, because she is voiced by Eileen Galindo, who played Professor Finland in the Witch Academia, uh, Vivian Garcia Shapiro in Phineas and Ferb, and most fittingly as Dora the Explorer's mom in the Dora Explorer series. <laughs> <laughs> they straight up just got her mom's voice actor to play the totally not Flora, not, uh, totally not Dora in this. <laughs> oh yeah, and also because I guess he also just will keep showing up at times too, Steve is voiced by Matt Chapman, who we've covered before. <laughs> naturally, naturally. Yeah. He will show up at least twice in the next in the series. Uh, once definitely in the very next episode. But we also <laughs> know he's in another one at the least because based on the promo image of him on a motorcycle or something. <laughs> uh. Yes. Uh, I've got a few more things here. Uh, the scene where Luce is startled by Amity and falls over kind of mirrors the scene where Amity tells Luce about how she quit Grudby back in Winging Like Witches because Luce was like hovering a bit too close to Amity because she like gets too enamored with backstory yeah. where, like she actually startles Amity and makes her fall over it's a, it's a funny little parallel between the two <laughs> uh, yeah we already covered that King's bread puns were from really small problems that we finally see the glyph combo from his ability and that we saw a bird off the staff ready uh, yeah I have a note here that it's like really more an observation for me rather than trivia but it's kind of a weird contrast between Luce and Philip because Luce is like totally all about the magical world she fell into and loves beating and helping people whereas Philip desperately hates the demon realm and its inhabitants yeah. he's just a shitty British colonizer who's just <laughs> a fucking racist compared to Luce being an open-minded Gen Z kid and the again like the only bone that I will throw to Philip at this point is that we don't know what happened to his brother yet yeah we don't know what happened to his brother and also like we really don't know the context or like how he got to the demon realm because like if we go based on what we saw in yesterday's lie, he was lured into the demon realm by a witch. Yeah. Like, we're not really sure about the validity of that claim. So who knows fully, because it's like, I don't know, he could be trapped there um, uh, from his, like, maybe he didn't, like, have a choice here, whereas Luce, like, kind of decided to stay in the, in the demon realm <laughs> and then ended up having to trap herself there to stop Bellows with his plans. So yeah. who knows? But yeah, I mean, it's definitely a contrast where he hates it there and she loves it there. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm, and, like, I'm not trying to excuse his actions. I'm just saying we don't know yeah. why he hates it so much. Yeah, I mean, he could just be a shitty British It's very possible he could just be people. racist, yes. Yeah, he could just be a racist. <laughs> and, uh, Maybe he's also... just mad that his brother got married and settled down. <laughs> I, yeah, people have that theory that uh, his brother ended up marrying into the Clothorn family. <laughs> so just really tied together, but yeah, who knows. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's also just another thing I have here about, like, a little contrast between them, where it's like, the owls clearly know that Philip is an asshole, and how much, like, how much it's hard to hide the plant fire and ice cliffs from him, and also pretty much succeed on hiding the light cliff till Luce showed them and accidentally screwed it up. Because, like, Luce only, like, Luce discovers the first cliff at, like, a week after she arrives in the owls, and found, like, the other three about, like, within, like, a month or so after she found the first one. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, it's like definitely a bit of contrast there of like, hmm, maybe the time is actually directly trying to help Blue stop Bellows, and who knows. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, doo -doo -doo. Yeah, I also just like have no note here I didn't mention earlier, but the bit where like Lois kind of goes, eh, when Lou says, I did listen to you, it's just very funny. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's right before she's like, Edith's gonna kill me, because she thinks <laughs> he's gonna watch Lou being in. It's like, very funny when Lilith gets to be snarky and a goofball. Yeah. 
Uh, also, a little thing I will throw out here. Why does Dell have a palisman that looks like a yellow version of Little Rascal? Again, maybe the Clawthorns, like maybe the ancestor of the Clawthorns made a little rascal for Philip and his brother. That's what I'm working off here. But at the same time, it's like it's too fucking similar that there's like two different cardinals that are different coloration. What the fuck? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they just uh, like birds. I mean, yeah, the Clawthorn family is all about birds, but it's like, come on. The fact that there's like two different cardinal palismen in this show is like, that is too fucking close. That is too similar. Something's going on here. <laughs> hey, so quick palismen thought. Um, like, everybody wonders what Luz's palismen is going to be, but how many people really... I feel like, and this is just a sudden inspiration... But given her history with the species, and given the clawthorn bird thing, and given that she's not really a clawthorn, I feel like one of those pigeon griffins would be great for Luce. <laughs> because it's part bird, part mammal, it's like both worlds, it's a thing she was obsessed with even oh, before she came yeah. to the Boiling Isles. Yeah, it's... where she's like, I know that griffins definitely have uh, spider breath, and then yes. she is right. <laughs> yes, <Yeah>. exactly. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm still very much on Team Bat or Team Snake in terms of her palisman, but also it's like, I mean, we only have six more episodes of this season, and then the three specials, are, are we actually going to even get the chance where she's going to have the chance to carve her palisman? That's I hope, a good I hope, question. I hope we get that, because I would like to see her carve it with Ida and Amity, like, be like, yeah, my, my foster mom and my girlfriend are going to help me do this. You know, I, like, um... I actually kind of got convinced against the bat thing today, believe it or not. Like, well, I mean, it's all speculation, but Dana put up a tweet today about being in the hospital and hoping that we enjoy the episode, which she closed with two emotes for this episode, an owl and a bat. And if she's using the bat in reference to rain, then, like, I don't see it as lose, you know? Hmm. I, hmm, I, I, I need to look at the street now. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, at least, like, Dana Terrace is actually okay. She, she's okay with that emergency she had, but yeah, she, she seems like she's recovering. That's fine. Uh, looks uh, like it's... You posted it, actually, in the uh, Just Cartoons <laughs> server. Uh, uh, I don't know why I'm trying to scroll through Twitter. There it is. Yep, there there is an owl and a bat. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Who can say? I mean, I mean, yeah, like I mean, rain was ahead of the bat, so it would make sense for the bat to be there for rain. But at the same time, it's either telling a story to loose, so <laughs> it's like the bat might in the light loose. Who can uh, say? <laughs> speculation. It's wonderful, yep. isn't it? <laughs> yep. These are the kinds of things that have been going through my mind for like the last almost year with watching this fucking show. <laughs> Okay, sorry to derail. No, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, th that's everything I have for trivia because, like, again, like, there's really like not as much of like references to things these days. Like, it's really more just like a lot of like things in the background that like kind of tie to other stuff or like observations, really. And again, more voice actors. Because they keep introducing more characters when it's like <laughs> there's not much left to the show. <laughs> Stop trying to prove me as a liar. Back when I was like, oh, there won't be many. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. I mean, hey, next week I'm gonna fucking cover Vi uh, Gerbo because I'm like, I didn't cover Gerbo <laughs> before, but he comes, shows, he shows up again, and I can't say he's not gonna show up again for another time in season two B. So I'm gonna fucking cover Gerbo. <laughs> this is a character that's not a character, but it's like, fuck it, I'm gonna mention Gerbo's voice actor, I guess. I mean, you gotta, just in case. <laughs> yeah. If you can say whether or not he might show up again. But yeah, um, if that's all your trivia, let's say we move on to questions. Yep. Uh, so if you would like to send us questions, we are at usweirdoscast on Twitter and usweirdoscast at gmail.com. Uh, today, uh, the, we were asked two questions. So, uh, from Casey Cosmos, at Casey Cosmos, what is the WeirdoCast official parade float? I feel like it's the non-binary colors, right? <laughs> I mean, it has to be, yeah. Yeah, definitely. In just the most aggressive combination possible. Yep. <laughs> not, not even a flag, just a mess of color. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not even like it's it's not even like painted well. It's just it's like just white, yellow, purple, and black just splattered about. Like basically, like looks like a fucking Splatoon map at the end of a match. It's, you know it's what like, I'm yeah, thinking of? It's like um. Camouflage pants, but non-binary colors. Uh, actually, that's not bad. <laughs> kind of dope. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's the color scheme. I don't know what it actually is, though. <laughs> yeah, uh, hmm. And maybe it's just a giant microphone. <laughs> yeah, okay. With, I'd be with down like, with that. sock puppets of us just, like, shouting into it about, like, how Viney and Jervo aren't characters, but fuck it, I guess we gotta cover them now. <laughs> Yeah, uh, a giant microphone and then, uh, like, a soundboard off in the corner that's been shot with a bunch of arrows. because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the soundboard keeps fucking up. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> uh, um, also from Casey, uh, you get to time travel to do one funny thing in history. What are you doing? Uh... I feel like it's kind of hard to not just default to we're definitely pantsing fucking Trump during his, like, inauguration speech or something, right? <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Um, the, the, the difficulty I mean, like, with a funny thing is that it's very powerful, and if used correctly, it can change everything. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, like, mine being like, oh, well, like, I could go back in time and, like, really blow, like, past people's minds about, like, what a phone looks like, but at the same time, they would definitely think I'm a witch and burn me at the stake. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm thinking specifically, like, um, dosing Reagan with laxatives or something so he doesn't <laughs> get on TV. And so, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, there's I a feel lot like of potential lot... for history. Yeah, I feel, I feel like there's a lot of really petty things we can do to a lot of really shitty presidents, is the thing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, me going back in time and, like, telling uh, past uh, Chloe about who they really are is, like, not really a funny thing, because it's really just going to fuck them up long term, because <laughs> they definitely can't do anything about that oh. until they're a legal adult, so oh, that would just yeah. be messing them up. Oh, I'm just trying it, to imagine teaching little nobody what non-binary was. Yeah. It, yeah. It's it's very much like the tweet people had going around of like you ever get like ten million dollars you can go back to being like six years old with the knowledge you have at the moment I'm like obviously you take the money because I would not want to be six years old knowing what I do know because it's like it presumably if it's like I go back in time to, with my current mind in my six year old body it's like 
nobody's gonna fucking listen to a six-year-old about the fucking pandemic and about yeah. the rise of fascism in America. And also, definitely nobody's gonna listen to them being like, no, I'm not binary, I'm using baby and pronouns, don't refer to me as a boy. It's like, no, nobody's gonna fucking listen to a six-year-old about that for the most part, especially back in the 90s. Well, sure, like, when you were six, know... the word would have been genderqueer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but... no, that would be a nightmare. <laughs> but yeah, I mean... Listen, there's a lot of stuff that's not great, but I'm pretty happy with my life. Like, obviously, I'm going through some stuff right now, but I'm in a good place. I just have, yeah. like, a couple obstacles to work out. Yeah. I don't like, think there's basically anything that could convince me to go back to being six, especially no. because, like... So, like, I've mentioned my partner a couple times so far. This is the first time I've had a real relationship with actual emotions involved because i just didn't yeah. have those for so long and going back with the knowledge i have now i would not want to have to wait 22 years to meet my partner again yeah fair. <laughs> it's bad enough living in a different yeah. country yeah especially knowing like what you went through back during that time it's like oh great now i gotta live it again yeah yeah exactly I, I guess i guess like the one funny thing we could do with like involving our past selves is like we could show our past selves like what video games will look like in 2022 oh yeah like Whoa. i'm like yo <laughs> check this shit out kid <laughs> you think you think uh fucking Legend of Zelda on the nes is impressive we'll check this shit out <laughs> <laughs> oh jeez, yeah Three yeah look at this we can wow. fucking jump <laughs> Yeah, I, I guess like yeah, like so uh, your past like self playing like Pokemon Red and Blue of like hey check out what Pokemon looks like. Don't worry, it's actually not all that interesting because like Pokemon kind of been on a bit of a downward curve uh, lately. It's actually not been great in some cases, but it's it at least looks nice. Look, they're in three D. Listen, Legends Arceus would have destroyed me. I would never have become. Oh, oh a yeah, no, definitely, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> like yeah, if we saw that game back then when everybody was like, we want the we want the Pokemon MMO, and it's like, well, this is the closest you're gonna get because MMOs also definitely don't stick around for very long. <laughs> God, that grade blew the fuck up. Yeah. Um... I miscounted earlier. There are actually three tweet, uh, three questions. So also from Casey, uh, who's the coolest cartoon ant? To this, I have my own question. Do the crystal gems count as Steven's ants? Because, I mean, they're technically like the friends of his mom, Rose Quartz. And so mm -hmm. it's like, they're kind of... They're kind of like her co-workers in a sense, so it's like, do they count as his extended moms, or are they like his aunts, essentially? I feel like accepted family counts. Okay. Yeah, because like, I kind of feel like they are like one of the like obvious answers in that regard, Like especially like the fact that like Garna is just the cool like mother figure who's just like, yep, l let him learn things. He's, he's not going to grow as a person if he doesn't try, but also at the same time, like, there's like an episode devoted to that where she's like, you you act in such a weird and irrational way that only a human can that I literally can't use my future vision to see if everything's gonna be okay when it comes to you. Like you have literally fucked over my ability to see some of the future, my guy. <laughs> like it's it's a, it's a pretty good episode where it's like yeah, it's like one of the few times that Garnet actually like is worried about something. Yeah. Cause usually she's like the like the cool reserved like, you know, especially like in season one and a little bit into two, like she's kind of like a bit of a weird character in those because like she's kind of just really standoffish until like I guess really after season one when like you learn that she's actually a fusion and all. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, for the most part, she's just this like cool and calm, collected person. And then like 
in the ninth episode. I think it's like near the end of yeah. I think it's at the beginning of episode of the season five because it's like <laughs> after he comes back to Earth that they're being at homework for a bit where she's like, I didn't fucking expect you would hand yourself in. I literally can't predict anything you do anymore because you're just you're you're human and therefore irrational and like us gems basically. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's like. I can't say Pearl or Amethyst because, like, Amethyst is definitely more of, like, a sister to him more than anything because yeah. they're both, like, they both definitely had that episode where they're, like, keep being, like, no, I'm definitely the worst crystal gem. I'm the worst at fighting. And it's, like, yeah, they definitely have more of a sibling relationship. And, like, oh, man, I, you haven't seen season five, but it's, like, Pearl definitely has not been all up front about a lot of stuff. <laughs> Pearl's been holding on to something for a long fucking time. <laughs> It's like, yeah. uh, I can't really say Pearl is, like, the good mom or anything, but it's like, jeez. <laughs> I uh, think it will probably not come as a shock uh, that my answer is Ophelia Frump from the Adams Family. <laughs> She's Morticia's <laughs> little sister, and she likes to do judo on people. <laughs> um, like, is she, like, karate chopping the kids or something? Uh, no, she mostly... Her running joke is that she keeps getting engaged to men and then judo throwing them and they break up with her. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that would do it. Yeah. Throwing that relationship somehow. Yeah. <laughs> it's, they're just clearly not prepared for a frump because, like, that's how Gomez interacts with a lot of his family in the old series. So, uh. <laughs> Admittedly, yeah, really... he's an Adams and not a frump, but still. Yeah, I've, I've never really watched the Adams Family, like the original show back in the day. I, I've seen a little bit of it, but I've never really like stuck with it much. Oh, I loved it. It was mm. <laughs> crucial to who I am as a person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you do so have that, the whole, like, yeah. you have the whole, like, goth aesthetic going on all the time. So, yeah, makes sense. Semi-goth, yeah. <laughs> yeah, close but, Yeah, I mean... It's not like I named myself nobody or anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, I'm trying to think of like another example, cause like like trying to think of like more like direct family relationship. I mean, it's like yeah, the crystal gems are close enough, cause it's like I mean, again, he has that whole relationship with his mom, who was their leader and all. But yeah. it's like I'm trying to think of like one that's like more like directly like blood related, but I'm like. Uh, hmm. Yeah. There's really, there's really no aunt at all in like the Ducktales reboot because I mean, like, there's really only like one mom and that's Della. <laughs> and like, I mean, Della, Della tries, but even she admits when she's like back on Earth and all, is like, I, I don't know how to be a mom really. <laughs> <laughs> and she tries. Della's good. It's like, yeah, she, she admittedly she doesn't know because she was fucking stuck on the moon for a decade. It's like, yeah, she, give her a chance here. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh. I mean, because, like, uh, fucking, god, what, what, why am I drawing a blank on the maid's name? No, not the maid, the, uh, like, Scrooge's assistant lady. Um, Webby's grandma. Yeah, um, Webby's grandma. And, and I'm mostly just thinking Ms. because Beakley. she calls her granny. Miss Beakley, yeah, yeah, I'm like, she, she's a grandma to her, she's not really an aunt, so can't really yeah. say her. I guess, like, she's kind of something like an aunt to Scrooge, in a sense, because she is definitely older than, like, I, I guess, like, she's not older than Scrooge, because Scrooge definitely says at one point that he, like, did something to definitely extend his lifespan, because he's, he was alive back during, like, the gold rush in, like, the yeah, 1860s or whatever. <laughs> yeah, Scrooge has been alive for, like, 150 years. At <laughs> least. he's, like, the older. Yeah. <laughs> Scrooge is ancient. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, no, I'm but, really trying to think. Okay, well, while you're on that, I guess I'll give another one, because I did a little bit cheat. Ophelia is not exactly a cartoon ant. Like, she appears in newspaper cartoons, but that's not the same thing, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, Alicia, Danny Phantom's aunt, is great. Um, she only shows up in one episode, but uh, it's to have a party for the 10-year anniversary of her divorce because she hates her husband so much. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool. And yeah, she just owns a little house out in the middle of Arkansas where she is ferociously independent and doesn't let men anywhere near her. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Uh, I'm looking over at like, my bookshelf at the moment to be like, are there any ants in any of these? It's like, not really. <laughs> like, I mean, definitely not Game of Thrones. Everybody's dead all the time in Game of Thrones. Nobody's family exists, lives long enough in that. Yeah, they're not <laughs> cartoons either. <laughs> yeah, also fair. <laughs> uh, yeah, dang. I don't actually know of many ants from cartoons, though. I'm thinking about it a lot. It's weird, right? There just aren't that many. No, I mean, there's like a lot of like mom figures and dad figures and like uncle figures because i mean like yeah like the the easy answer here is like if it's uncle because it's like oh it's definitely uncle iroh because it's like he's <laughs> fucking rad yeah and it's like i mean i was even thinking of like oh yeah well i mean like uh, uh uncle stan from gravity falls people like even though apparently gravity falls doesn't hold up stan is not I mean, cool also... and has never pretended to be <laughs> yeah fair i mean it's well okay i mean maybe he's pretended to be but only for a heist <laughs> yeah I mean, but I still, like, at the same point, like, yeah, there's a lot of stuff going about the Avatar series in general that is, like, eh, I can like a little Iroh, but, like, yeah, it's, like, yeah, that, yeah. uh, the creators of that might not be the best people, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can appreciate the job that Iroh's voice actors have done, <laughs> while also being, like, yep, this, uh, show is a little problematic now. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, no, it's, it's, yeah, I can't really think of any. <laughs> I'm going to stick with my answer because it's close enough. Fair enough, yeah. Um, that is all the questions from our Twitter. Did we get anything in the Gmail? Nah, it's empty still. That's fair. It's, yeah, it's a it's, Gmail. It, we knew this yeah, was going to happen. It, it's only got an email like twice <laughs> from the same person. Because <laughs> also, it's way easier for people to message us over Twitter considering that we send out tweets about it on there compared like i don't send a fucking email to people being like hey send those questions <laughs> that'd be weird yes indeed um i guess that'll take us into Luce's crimes count um i can't think of any new real crimes she's done unless you count breaking the laws of physics hey <laughs> yeah uh, she she does kind of go ahead and potentially i mean i guess she doesn't mess up the timeline she does basically like I mean, it's, like, clearly, like, yeah, she had done this in the past. Like, she has, she had already gone, like, past Philip slash Bellos had already met her. So it's, like, it's not like she's, like, doing anything different or new. But it's, like, I don't know. It's definitely, like, whenever you deal with time travel, it's always, like, yep, you're kind of just putting the whole order of the world in your hands. And turns out, basically, every time that somebody does that, they usually fuck something up. (laughs) And it's, like, yeah, I mean, you think about, like, I mean, Marty McFly definitely almost fucked things up to the point where he almost didn't exist anymore, but then he fortunately got that to work in the end. Yeah, yep. yeah. I have an extremely bad habit of including time travel plots in TTRPGs, and it never goes well. 
I mean, hey, we 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 basically had a, a time loop uh, plot in ours before we uh, activated a portal to different dimensions based on our <laughs> whole thing of like dealing with an invasion force from another dimension. So we're trying to like recruit other people from other worlds to help us out. <laughs> and like, there was definitely a bit there where it's like some uh, jackasses were like trying to like rob the venue we were doing because we were doing like a party for it with our sponsors and all. Yeah. And they were like, there's going to be important stuff you had to steal. And so they actually locked us into a time loop for like nine hours and we didn't realize <laughs> it because we just kept repeating shit. <laughs> But, yeah. Yep. Um, I mean, it's like, yeah, that, that was like, that kind of pits off one of our uh, players because, like, they're always like, oh, goddammit, I hate fucking time travel. <laughs> and I was like, yep, it's a secretly a time travel story, fucker. Deal with it. Well, you see, I like the way time, I yeah. did, uh, the way I dealt with it in the last campaign I ran is I had them time travel so far back they were beyond any possible recorded history and they couldn't do anything to affect anything. <laughs> ah, there you go, clean slate, go fucking nape shit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, y'all another secret Atlantis. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I like time travel stuff. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I think that's basically everything. Do you have something on the docket for the artist spotlight today? I do. It is. Uh, I I should say she is a uh, uh, artist that I linked a little bit in our little cartoon thread. Uh, God, it's like it's always like a little annoying when the person has a different display name than their handle, which is like the handle is really strange. But yeah, her uh, her handle is uh, Shizuka, and her Twitter is at t o h r k g k. I don't know <laughs> what that stands for besides obviously the Owl House in the beginning part. I don't know what the rest is. But yes, uh, she's made a uh, good fan art like one of Lucy and Avani on New Year's Eve, where Avani makes a light glyph for the first time and is like stoked about it. Uh, there's one when they're walking home after school holding hands and Amity lifts their hands up to embarrassingly give Lucy a kiss on their hand. Uh, she also made one where Amity's just wearing a really comfy looking hexide sweater while studying as Lucy carries a sack of paper and books past her. Uh, another one where Amity is hugging Lucy in a clingy fashion after she just learned that she might lose her girlfriend. This <laughs> is obviously like back before Follies at the Covenant Parade aired, but like still something that could happen in the show. We don't know. Uh, one where Lucy is like cutesy, like little cutesy Lee, like tapping her cheek towards Amity while clearly signaling she wants another kiss as Amity laughs, which <laughs> I linked to like the other day in there. And even one where Luce and like old green-haired Amity had their respective pride flags that she made at the start of June last year. Yeah. That was a celebration of that. Uh, she has also done like some fan art of Bubbleine and Katadora, has done some like Steven Universe fan art, especially about like uh, Spinel, because all oh, Spinel's whole deal back in that show is so fucked up. <laughs> and did a comic of Marcy dreaming while in the regeneration vet if she could go back and fix things between her and Sasha and if they'd forgive her. Which, uh, <laughs> let Marcy have good things happen to her, show. <laughs> Season 3 has been real mean to Marcy. <laughs> Especially the last episode, the most recent one. Yeah. Cause like, you saw, the, you saw the bit about like, how people translated the amphibian text on the panel next to her, right? Yep. Yep. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> Uh, there's only like three weeks left of that show. It's coming yeah. to a head really quick. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, that means we don't get a whole lot of Marcy this season. But at the same time, the finale is like an hour and a half long, so who knows? Maybe we will get a lot of Marcy. <laughs> she uh, has to get her cool anime powers. That's true, yeah. 
Yeah, it's, it's very funny that they just straight up call them that. A fucking creature from Amphibia calls them cool anime powers, and it's like, yeah, they know what anime is, sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um... Yeah, no. It's, yeah, again, more of the usual stuff. It's always, like, cutesy fan art. Unfortunately, I covered all the people that are doing, like, a lot of fan art, like, every week whenever a new episode airs. Like, right. I mean, I keep linking to, like, Jigushi's art every week, and it's like, dang it, I covered her, like, on week three. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, no, um, that's pretty much everything. Yeah, so uh, next week we're going to be talking about two more episodes, 13 and 14, Any Sport in a Storm and Reaching Out. Um, the oh, week... Get ready for pain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, the week after, assuming we record on Saturday, will also be two episodes, Them's the Bricks Kid and Hollow Mind. And after that, we're pretty much going to be transferring to one episode an episode, so... <laughs> yeah. It, it'll be a little one-sided at times, because one person will definitely be talking a little bit more than the other, but we'll make it work. Yeah, so... I mean, I don't think we want to take, like, a week off to cover two, when it's like, yeah, we could do some shorter episodes for once for the last couple of weeks of it. Yeah, I very much agree. It's it's better to keep going and have some short episodes. Goodness yeah. knows we need them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yes. I, I can imagine that we're still gonna probably going to talk a lot about, like, the few episodes near, like, the end of the season as well. Definitely. Also, especially before we start our next show. <laughs> That's <their> point. <laughs> yeah. But, uh... For the moment, at least, I think with that sort of programming notes, all that is left to say is to uh, remember, us weirdos have to, stick, have together. to stick together. Bye. Bye.